was checking some work, but I finally have them. There's rumors, Amanda, that some of them have abilities. Oh, yeah. I have seen things. Maybe Superman was some kind of beacon for them to creep back from the shadows. This is Now Playing's DC Movie Universe Retrospective Series. The greatest gladiator match in the history of the world. Part of the Now Playing DC Comic Movie Series. I'm putting together a team. Can't save the world alone. Hosted by Arnie. I'm about to learn that a lot of people yeah. want me dead. Stuart. You are so cool. And Jacob. Unless we all want to die very unpleasant deaths, we're going to have to work together. At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be reviewing all the DC Universe movies featuring Superman. I grew up in Kansas, General. About as American as it gets. Batman. We just have a bad history with freaks dressed like clowns. Wonder Woman. Oh, I don't think you've ever known a woman like me. Aquaman. I am the protector of the deep. Shazam. Oh, you did not see that one coming, did you, Grandpa? <laughs> Suicide Squad. We're bad guys. It's what we do. Birds of Prey. That wasn't the only Damon Gotham looking for emancipation. And Justice League. They said the age of heroes would never come again. Fast too. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Are you effing stupid? Listener discretion is advised. Okay, let's do this. How do we do this? Today, we're discussing... Birds of Prey, and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, starring Margot Robbie, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Journey Smollett-Bell, Rosie Perez, Chris Messina, Ella J. Basco, Ali Wong, and Ewan McGregor, directed by Kathy Yan. Do you know who I am? They call me Arnie, co-host of Now Playing. And Stuart. And this is the asshole no one likes, Jacob. Harley Quinn 2.0. Are you guys excited? First of all, I need to know. Let's relitigate the ghost of Recommends Past. <laughs> Rewinding. It's 2016, and I'm calling Suicide Squad the worst movie in the DC canon. I stand by that. Actually, even now, I rewatched it, and you guys said, no, it's good enough. Yeah, it's still good enough. Really? It's a recommend. Maybe. I haven't gone back and watched it. Just because I recommend something doesn't mean I sit around and watch it annually. I get it. It was an okay action film. <laughs> it passed the time. Like, if you're into action movies, I think it's one that you'll be all right with. And I liked it so much that I bought it with the director's cut digitally because I couldn't even wait for the physical discs to see the added footage. I decorated my office with Margot Robbie Harley Quinn statues. Yeah, how many statues of her do you have now? Um, well, I've been selling them. Oh, ooh. <laughs> okay, I see where this is going. So if anybody wants some Harley Quinn stuff, <laughs> check out my eBay store. Thanks for listening to the show. We're done, I think. That's the recommend I needed to hear. But the DC Extended Universe does feel mostly done. Shazam couldn't get Henry Cavill to show up for a day to do that lunchroom scene. Joker, not in the DC Extended Universe. After Aquaman, which I don't think any of us liked, and specifically Justice League, it feels like that idea has gone away and they're doing more standalone films. But this is definitely, I mean, everything in Suicide Squad is referenced as happening here. Oh yeah, Suicide Squad was on my mind trying to figure out 
throughout the continuity and the timeline of this movie. I was wondering where this one fell. They'll make it clear. But like, is Robert Pattinson's Batman going to be in the DCEU? Like, he keeps talking about how dark and gritty that one's going to be, which uh, I guess that fits Snyder's earlier films. Yeah, I think what has happened is that DC has found its footing in that time. Like, they thought that the double whammy of putting out Batman versus Superman and Suicide Squad at the beginning and end of that summer was going to be their universe. And none of that seems to have taken. And all the things that are hits are the Wonder Woman's, the Aquaman's, and Joaquin Phoenix. I feel like they're actually doing quite well financially. I mean, yeah, it didn't work. And now they're trying to find one-offs that do. Yeah, we'll know when the Joker finally shows up in this universe. If they're going to try to get Leto back. Because he's not here. No, and I don't think he'll ever get back. I just picture him very petulant that Joaquin Phoenix has an Oscar. He's like, well, I'm Morbius then. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to make a Morbius joke. Good luck with that. I just picture him like his character in my so-called life, just brooding and silent and whiny about what happened to Joker without him and how he did not return for this. Let's talk about Birds of Prey, a property I did not know. Jacob, if you could tell me who are the Birds of Prey. Somewhere in the 90s, if you've listened to Arnie and I review The Killing Joke on Books and Nachos, that Alan Moore Batman comic, you know the Joker shows up at Barbara Gordon, who is Batgirl, shows up at her place, shoots her. And so when she got incorporated back into the DC universe, well, we have this person who's paralyzed from the waist down. What can we do with her? She becomes like a mastermind hacker called Oracle and starts to put together a team. So this is like your girl DC team with Batgirl, but she's not really Batgirl now because she's paralyzed, but she recruits Black Canary and eventually like Huntress comes on. It's kind of been a rotating cast of female characters. Every once in a while, they have a male character there's the team up hawk and dove where one's a guy one's a girl so they had to include him but usually it's a female-centric team in gotham doing that superhero thing i'm a little confused you said hawk and dove does dc actually have a hawk man and another character named hawk they have a hawk man a hawk girl and a hawk and a dove yes (laughs) okay and a black canary there's probably a lot more bird ones if i thought about it and it sounds like they actually follow this kind of closely for this TV pilot that I watched that there was a show on WB. Anyone remember that? Yeah, I I never watched this, but I remember it. How long was this on? A season, you know, 2002 to 2003, I think. I was really into it because I was loving Smallville. I thought that show was really solid. I liked the Lex Clark dynamic that they built in there. I thought Michael Rosenbaum was really good. I just really enjoyed that show. And so when they were heavily advertising Birds of Prey, I'm like jazzed. I'd heard about the comics. I've never read a lot of DC comics, but I was really excited. And then I turned it on. Does anyone (laughs) remember the syndicated superhero show Nightman? Oh, yeah. (laughs) was to me the barometer for the worst awfulest i mean it's above bible man i'll admit (laughs) better than willie ames okay (laughs) and this birds of prey on wb had nightman like special effects and it's supposed to be taking place i think in tim burton's gotham city or they just couldn't afford lights i can't decide which yeah i watched some of it i actually lose interest when aaron paul falls out his first gig before breaking bad is he's going to be this sleazy boyfriend of dinah lance who just showed up in gotham and he's like the guy that's sidling up to her oh so he's not his like superhero character he's just a boyfriend no no he's kicked away by huntress 
who, yeah, is doing a lot of wire work. Just out of curiosity, who was the team in, in that show? It was Huntress, Oracle, and then Dinah, who was described as a young runaway. So they didn't call her Black Canary. <laughs> it also boasts the first live action Harley Quinn, played by Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Mia Sara. Oh, was that her? Yeah. Oh, wow. We're going to be discussing her this summer in Legend. Yeah. She's a bad guy in it, right? Because th this is something new for this movie, is incorporating people that are more on the villainous side into this team. I know they did it in some DC comics. I mean, I think as early as 2017, they started a Birds of Prey comic with Harley Quinn or Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey, things like that. Yeah, that's right. They did. Because Harley Quinn was hot and they, you know, it's kind of like why they put Wolverine in every comic book. You yes. put Harley Quinn in a comic book, it's going to sell more copies. But we'll talk about it as we get into it. I surprised Batgirl does show up in a way in this one. Really? It's not Oracle, but she's here. Okay. I probably missed a lot of Easter eggs going on. This show flies by real quick. But this movie has a long production history. Did either of you notice Robbie is listed as the producer of this? Yeah, that's the one thing I knew about this movie. It happened because she was really pushing quite a few projects. She was trying to become a star, you know, and the way to get the best movie for yourself made is to form a production company and make it yourself. That's the onus to anyone out there. If you're hoping that all the producers, when you become an it girl, are going to make it happen for you, that goes away very, very quick. You have to come up with your own projects. And I know this was important to her. She wanted to see this spinoff happen. R-rated action movie with her in the lead. She came up with the idea while filming Suicide Squad. She pitched it to DC. She said she wasn't ready to stop playing Harlequin. There was so much yet to be discovered and explored. And... There weren't any all-girl action films. Remember, this was before Wonder Woman's solo film by a few months. And so she wanted to see kick-ass women on screen, pitched it as an R-rated girl gang film. She says Harley can never have a solo film. Harley needs friends. She has to interact with people. She never wants to do a standalone Harley Quinn film. But she wanted to do this, and she thought it was important to have a female director. And that's why we get Yan, who won a lottery. I mean, how did she get this gig? She has a Sundance winning film for Best Ensemble. I guess they get very specific in their awards at Sundance called Dead Pigs, which cannot be found. I looked everywhere. I wanted to... Because the trailer looks really good. All the reviews I read were pretty good. I was willing to buy an actual physical copy on Amazon. Not there. Can I stream it? Nowhere. Okay, let's go to the dark side. I went to torrent sites. I put like six condoms on my computer because these are torrent <laughs> sites that looked real dog. I couldn't find it anywhere. It's in some distributor's cabinet locked up, but I don't know why you wouldn't get this out right now when people are talking about this film and this director. I think the heartbreak for any independent filmmaker is you think, oh, I get in Sundance and they even give me a little prize, and this is a path towards something, my movie's going to be seen. The story for most of those films is that they don't actually get distribution. That, in fact, somebody buys them, but maybe that company folds, or, you know, they lose interest, they don't actually have the money to do what they promised, and, yeah, your little 
Darling is never seen by the world, and that appears to be what happened to Dead Pigs. You would think Warner Brothers themselves would want to come in here and just buy it and put it out as part of promotion of Birds of Prey, because it looks very similar. It's a story of all these mismatched people in China trying to stop a river of dead pigs from flowing into Shanghai. So it's got the elements of being morbid, but funny, and all these disparate, like a delivery boy and a gangster and what have you. Like, it sounds crazy and fun. And you can see why, yeah, this is someone you might look at, but what a jump. I think you're right, Arnie. What a jump to go from One Little Sundance movie to now you are sitting in the director's chair of what looks to be like a very expensive franchise film. $85 million. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, like, that's not everything in the kitchen sink budget, but that's definitely saying we have confidence that this is going to be a major hit for us. And it was important also to get a female screenwriter, and that is Christine Hodson. We have seen her work before. She is becoming a go-to for these kinds of things. Bumblebee was her <laughs> gift to us. We liked it. No, I mean, we didn't. You liked it. I think Jerry liked it when I say we. Yeah, don't look at me. <laughs> it is the best Transformers movie. I don't like it, but it's the best one. Yeah, it was a bad film. But yes, by Transformers standards, it was good. But I'm going to put this out there. I'm not sure how much of the film Yan directed. We'll talk about it. Really? Yeah. There were a lot of reshoots Yan was not there for. We'll talk about it. But I think she did a lot of the character work. I'll say it that way. I'm just going to say right now, though, this movie is not doing well. It is following the likes of Charlie's Angels and Ghostbusters in a girl power film that's not bringing in audiences. Initially, this was tracking at a $135 million weekend. And then last week, Warner Brothers is like, we're going for 45 and IMDb and them were saying 50 to 55. My premiere showing was pretty empty. It's now on track for 35 as an opening. Yeah, I think part of the problem is that advertisement. I don't know about you, but I was surprised not to preview whether I'm going to recommend it or not. This movie is better than it looked when I saw those trailers. And so if you were like me, and when that preview came on and you went, Gah! I don't want to be anywhere near that. Don't worry. It isn't like sitting through that for 90 minutes. I agree 100% with you, Stuart, because that trailer, every time I had to see it, I'm like, this looks like the worst film ever. Not because it's chicks. I want to see ass kicking chicks. I love Pam Greer and black exploitation film. Like, that is the thing. I, Arnie, you pay a lot more attention to the marketing. I think part of the problem with maybe Ghostbusters 2016, a movie I did like, and Charlie's Angels, is that they try to make the female, the feminist side, a, a big thing in the marketing scene. This is about kick-ass women. You men aren't going to be able to take it. And then they're like, why didn't men see the film? Like, that, literally what happened with Charlie's Angels. They're like, this is not the film for men. And then they're like upset men didn't see it. This one, again, it's a superhero film. It's like it's comic books. It's ass-kicking women. I want to see that, but that trailer was bad. Yeah, three for three. I don't care who made the trailer. You're fired. You suck. <laughs> you made the worst fucking trailer in goddamn history. Seriously, that trailer made me dread going to this. This was the movie we're reviewing this year, and we're doing a goddamn Conjuring film. This was the movie I wanted to see least because of the trailers. The only good trailer was the thing they did before It, where she said she's tired of fucking clowns. I liked that. But when I saw the trailer for this movie, if a recommend is based on it's nowhere near as hideous as the trailer, 
recommend, but that's not what we base our recommends on. But yeah, I do think the marketing hurt this film. I think they didn't know how to market this film. And yet, you've already mentioned Ryan Reynolds. I mean, let's just put it out there. This is obviously Deadpool. They're obviously aspiring in so many ways. Really? Because Deadpool has jokes. No, no. no. We'll wait till we get into the film. Uh, yeah, hold hold it. I, we can argue whether they emulate Deadpool as successfully as they did in either movie. But the point is, you have a superhero who's also an anti-hero, direct address, cutting up the timeline, R-rated violence. There are off-color jokes here. It's so Deadpool 2. I mean, you've got words on screen introducing characters. You've got the formation of an unlikely group of heroes to protect a child from being killed. And not linear timeline where you're jumping all the fuck around. Does... Harley Quinn ever in Suicide Squad turn to the camera and, and address the audience like Deadpool was? Because she does it in this film. No, never. Yeah. So in what ways is it not like Deadpool? Because that's what is significance. And I found three. One, we're in the DC universe and not Marvel. And Marvel is lighter, has been more successful at that. DC's trying to correct that, but... Christopher Nolan, Zack Snyder, very much pitched those films as somber, and now we're supposed to go careening in the other way. Two, are we more comfortable with a man making these kinds of jokes than a woman? Is it our sexism that doesn't allow women to have the same level of fun? And three, this is obviously not making the same box office. So people, for whatever reason, have made the decision they don't want to see it. I'm going to address number two right off the bat. I love filthy female comedy. Sarah Silverman, Margaret Cho. Well, you might, but I'm saying society. The fact that Deadpool can do this and make so much money and she comes out and everyone's like, no, leads me to believe that there is a disparity in what we will accept in a woman or not. It's inconsistent, Stuart, because Bridesmaids, that was a huge hit. There's a lot of shitting and puking in that film. And, and that was the thing. People are like, oh, women want to gross out comedy like guys do? What a surprise. And then they'll do another one and it will fail. It just It's weird that they don't seem to get consistent traction. I think focusing on the gender, you'd maybe miss something there. I actually come from it from the opposite standpoint because when I saw Deadpool, I was just like, oh, this is just boy shit. This is just infantile boy shit. But but when a woman does it, it actually is sending more of empowerment because women haven't been allowed to do it. So I think some people might actually see this as what they would call very, very juvenile. If it were a male character, they would look at this and say, wow, here's something to celebrate. Here's someone blazing a trail. Let me also point out a fourth difference between this and Deadpool. Deadpool had strong female characters, specifically Negasonic Teenage Warhead, was a female on Deadpool's team in both movies. In this movie, and I think we commented on it in Charlie's Angels as well, there are no male characters here who are not villainous and deserve the ball punch they get. So men are just implicitly feeling like they are being attacked. I'm All I'm saying is it's a point of view of this movie, women good, men bad. I'd never take it that way, but okay. Yeah, I mean, you can either laugh with that or you can feel offended. Again, if Deadpool can make $135 million opening weekend and this movie makes 35 that's a $100 million gap there. Someone got pissed. All right, but here's what I'm saying. I'm not offended by this, but I think it shows a lack of confidence on the part of the screenwriter, maybe, or Yan, but... 
if you had a man join the team, it would undercut the female power message. If you had any guy helping them out, it would undercut that. But yet, it's not like in a masculine film, you're like, oh God, no, we can't have Trinity in the Matrix a kicking ass because it won't make the men look tough. But there's a history, there's a context this all falls into, and we just haven't been able to see as many women just be powerful and kick ass and win. So I agree, it's complicated. Yes, you're going to alienate some that are super sensitive about that, but are you also trying to make a message? I watched this film, yeah, there's a little bit of that. I don't really see it as a big girl power movie, even though it's starring women kicking ass. I'm going to throw one more idea, and I think it will lead us into talking about the plot. But one thing that Deadpool 1 had, I don't think it was in Deadpool 2, was it had heart. It tried to hide it through a lot of scatological humor, but ultimately it was a love story. It came out in Valentine's Day tongue-in-cheek, but it actually meant it. It was a love story about someone that was kind of repulsive who nevertheless found somebody that could appreciate his inner beauty. And boy, that's not me. I hate Ryan Reynolds. But I ended up, if you guys remember, I think I'm remembered for hating Deadpool, but I ended up flipping that arrow the second time that I saw it. I actually appreciate it for having those humanistic elements. And this movie will take a different tack. This is about, yes, a woman who will not be in love and very much is finding her identity outside of a romantic relationship. Yeah, I, I said with that first Suicide Squad, remember everyone was going around relationship goals because of Harley and Joker. I'm like, ooh, that's a toxic relationship. So at least, yeah, I'm glad that's going to get addressed here. Yeah, I think you have to address it. But I do think all people, female audiences, and maybe everyone a little, wants to see some romance when they go see a movie like this. It's a harder sell to say, here's some people that don't have that going on in their lives. Because it's so much about how people relate to characters on screen. If they don't have that element, it's hard to fall in love with them. But maybe not. I don't know, Arnie. Times are tough for Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. She's been dumped by Mr. J, a.k.a. Puddin, a.k.a. The Joker, a.k.a. not Jared Leto anymore. Ah, I was just going to make that joke. <laughs> <laughs> and as she says, our Harley Quinn is nothing without a master. Worse, without Joker's protection, everyone Harley has ever pissed off is out for literal blood, and over the years, she's pissed off a lot of people from cops to hitmen. Eventually, she's captured by a gang and taken to their boss, Roman Sionis, aka Black Mask, played by Ewan McGregor. Roman wants to have his right-hand man, Victor Zaz, played by Chris Messina, peel off Harley's pale face, but she makes a deal with him. See, Roman has aspirations of taking over Gotham City's crime rings. To do this, he needs a very specific MacGuffin, a large diamond that, in its molecular structure, contains the account numbers to the offshore fortune of the now-dead Bertinelli crime family. Roman had the diamond delivered, but it was stolen by child pickpocket Cassandra Kane, played by Ella J. Basco. Roman puts a half-million-dollar bounty on the girl, but if Harley delivers Cassandra first, then Roman will let Harley live. Harley does get Cassandra and the two connect, but they're chased by mercenaries as well as by veteran cop Renee Montoya, played by Rosie Perez. Also in the background is a weird crossbow killer, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I had to insert that as awkwardly in the plot as she is inserted as awkwardly in the movie. That's <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you're homeschooled, you know? You just don't have the social skills. <laughs> Harley is eventually beaten down and agrees to turn Cassandra over to Roman. The meeting place is at an abandoned amusement park. Zaz and Roman's new driver, Dinah Lance, a.k.a. Black Canary, played by Journey Smollett-Bell, 
are sent to the amusement park to get the diamond. But Black Canary doesn't cotton to her boss's violent ways, so she's become Detective Montoya's inside informant. She texts Montoya to meet them at the amusement park. Zaz realizes Canary's a traitor, but before he can shoot her, he's killed by that mysterious crossbow killer. The crossbow killer calls herself Huntress. Her real name is Helena Bertinelli, the sole survivor of the Bertinelli Massacre. She's been trained as a highly skilled assassin, and she's returned to Gotham City to kill everyone involved with the murder of her family. Zaz was one of the gunmen who killed her parents, and was the last one on her list. Montoya shows up too, but that's when Roman arrives personally, bringing with him an army of mercenaries ready to kill them all. The four women team up to protect Cassandra, and using their fighting skills and, eventually, Black Canary's sonic shrieking power, they beat down the goons, but Roman escaped with Cassandra. Harley gives chase, but it's Cassandra who kills her kidnapper using a grenade she stole from Harley's stash. Black Mask is blown into pieces. Montoya, Black Canary, and Huntress loved fighting together, so the three become a vigilante team called the Birds of Prey. And Harley, now feeling like her own woman, rides off with Cassandra, who is now her protege, as credits roll. But when credits start... DC Universe logo, I was wondering, is this still going to be in the DC Expanded Universe? We didn't see this logo with Batman and Flash and Green Lantern before the Joker. No, it's there. Yeah, it's there, but it's vandalized. You'll see very quickly <laughs> in pink marker, the smiley face with the X eyes pops up and we'll get voiceover and non-chronological editing and we get a lot of attitude really fast. What is your reaction to this being the style of the movie? This is kind of what I expect because it's Harley Quinn. She is a Deadpool-esque character, even in the comics these days, the way she's been written. I like that we get this animated opening. It feels like a nod to her origins because she is one of the few characters that successfully moved from screen. She started on the small screen with the Batman animated series into the comic books and had a successful comic book career, too. So it was nice. Oh, we're going to do this little animated thing. And I guess, again, they don't want Jared Leto. Is he like not even invited to put the makeup back on? You keep acting like he's shunned. Like, I'm thinking I wouldn't want it. I don't know. He doesn't show up here. There are scenes where they could have inserted him. He's not here. So my attitude would be if I were Jared Leto, thank God I'm not answering the phone when they're calling. I think they probably would have him back, maybe not for this movie, because this movie is about life without Joker, but I wouldn't want to do this. I'm thinking Jared Leto finds the, the gifts he made of used condoms and things to the previous <laughs> cast members. Yeah. Things he should have saved for other cast members. He, those are wasted used condoms from Jared Leto. But that is what is distracting me in these early scenes is I feel like so much of it is animated when they could do a kick-ass style opening showing this live action if they had Leto. But the Joker in this animation does not have damaged tattooed on his forehead. He looks like either the TV cartoon or honestly Cesar, Cesar Romero. Romero. Yeah. He's <laughs> the Joker and Harley Quinn is wearing that Batman the Animated Series. Joker laughs like Mark Hamill's laugh from the Animated Series. So it's distracting me, but I can say I'm not laughing. And I went back and I saw this twice. I did go back the very next day. I was at the IMAX premiere, 6 p.m. Thursday night. And so I went back Friday to an even more empty theater Friday night. 
And the first time I'm watching, I'm so distracted by lack of Leto. And the second time I'm like, okay, I kind of get what they're doing. But the fact that she went to live with some nuns and her dad's a tattooed guy who traded her for a six pack. None of it matters. Doesn't play out. No, none of it ever comes back. So the only thing I find slightly funny is let's start at the beginning and you see the sperm penetrate the egg. I mean, that was a good joke. I didn't laugh, but I recognized the humor in it. And I went to this Thursday night as well. My IMAX screening started like at five or something. And then I went to the first regular one at six because I was still driving home from work at five. But it was pretty full. Like, I was pretty surprised that R-rated Thursday night, it was more than halfway full, but I was gauging the laughs, because again, I laughed once, I'll call it out when I laughed out loud, but there were low rumble laughs, so that, that's the best way I'll describe it. Like, people, I think, were going, oh, I think I'm supposed to laugh there, so let me let out a laugh. But yeah, that sperm joke was kind of funny, and then I get really annoyed by the next, like, 20 minutes or so, like, all this sandwich shit, ugh. That is the problem, is I'm not laughing through this, or I could go more with this manic style, you know, off the air, you kept saying, oh, this looks like another Tank Girl. I kind of wish this was more Tank Girl, just more Gonzo, because none of this really worked for me. Well, the opening after we get through the animated sequence is about Harley Quinn's breakup. She's been dumb. She didn't break up with the Joker. She was thrown out by the Joker. And we needed an explanation for that. You're telling me it's because they didn't have Jared Leto that we couldn't have the scenes that explained it? Or maybe it was a conscious choice to have him always be a figure off screen. And so thus, it's a movie about her without him. And so you don't want him to be even a supporting character. But I do feel like, yeah, I wanted to know why. Have they ever broken up before or is that, does anyone know? Yeah, they break up all the time because they're both crazy. Oh, okay. All right. It's a toxic relationship. It's not because one cheated and betrayed their trust. No, they're just crazy people. Yes, that's one thing. Suicide Squad already told this as well. Her name was Harleen Quinzel and she was... I didn't know the whole thing about being raised by abusive nuns, but she did go on and have success and become a PhD psychologist and ended up falling for Joker at Arkham Asylum. I guess we need to correct ourselves. We keep saying Jared Leto isn't here. Jared Leto isn't here. We do see him from behind. Yeah, from old footage. They use some footage from Suicide Squad as they talk about her transformation from Harleen Quinzel into Harley Quinn. And that was all stuff shot for Suicide Squad that had Joker out of focus in the background or Joker from behind his head. You just see the his hair. But I'm happy to have this be its own thing. She's born of a cartoon universe, not born of Suicide Squad, an awful, awful film that I wouldn't want to see continue in any way. <laughs> I am so jealous of Margot Robbie, though, because you see her in this breakup depression, right? Margot Robbie, she's gorgeous. I'm not objectifying, but she is a gorgeous woman who is very, very thin. And I guarantee you that when filming this scene... She had a sublime moment, a moment I can never hope to have again. You know, it's kind of like losing your virginity the first time you taste spray cheese. You know, she has never eaten spray cheese and she just douses her mouth. And I can't imagine the very first time you realize how good spray cheese is. Now, she doesn't swallow the spray cheese. Yeah, I noticed that she didn't swallow <laughs> Yes, go dirty with it. I, I, I'm sure she spit that out after they cut. She never eats that egg sandwich with the butter on it either because God forbid a carb get in that body. But to imagine what it must be like, she had to want to swallow the spray cheese because that shit is awesome. 
No, it's not. It's awful. (laughs) As a child, I did like it, though, but... (laughs) I'm not down with the spray cheese, but I had to transition almost instantly. Because it didn't have Joker or any of the Suicide Squad, because she was born of cartoons, and because, yes, now a lot of the floor, they call this birds of prey, but let's face it, those other women that want to be emancipated are very supporting. This is very much her movie. It is Pee-wee's Playhouse. I suddenly now feel like I'm watching Paul Rubens <laughs> run around, what's the magic word, screaming like... Well, if Paul Rubens fed his rapist to a hyena... If it were on <laughs> later on the day, they might have done that in Pee-wee's Playhouse. <laughs> Paul Rubens has a rapist? Also, to point out, he was trying to barter her body for a hyena. That's prostitution, not rape, but he's a sleazebag who deserved to be fed to the hyena anyway. Right. So a lot of this is about a mood. And you're right, they're not quite crafted as jokes, which is to say that I didn't hear the audience laughing a lot at a certain line. It's more about just putting you in a punch-drunk mood where you feel like you've had maybe one extra cocktail than you should and everything's kind of spinning. It has a buzz to it, and it's not quite funny, but it is... I don't know. I found myself being pulled into what they could do in this universe now that we've removed the Suicide Squad. Oh, I agree. It's lighthearted and it feels right for Harley Quinn. Right. She's breaking the fourth wall. She is the Deadpool of the DC universe. I think those two compete for popularity and being fourth wall breaking manic characters that can do anything and interact with anyone. I like that they pay an homage to the comic book here. I don't know if you noticed in the animated beginning, they're talking about how she didn't have good romances even before Mr. J. One of them was with a girl that looked a lot like Poison Ivy, and she and Poison Ivy are lovers in the comic. Yeah, I was going to see if they're going to go Gotham City Sirens, I believe is the comic book where it's their team up. But Poison Ivy doesn't show up as a character. I mean, yes, this has a very gay sensibility, gay camp. This is all very much tongue in cheek. And yeah, they could go that way if they want. But again, it's almost sexless, this world. It's not about the relationship. Yeah, her moment here is I'm going to rip this J off my necklace and I'm going to steal this oil tanker and I'm going to drive it into Ace Chemicals because that was where I was dropped into a vat of toxic waste by Joker and I will be my own person now for the rest of the movie. This was the one out loud laugh I got. Some people have the Eiffel Tower. Some people have Olive Garden. <laughs> it just, uh, I hate Olive Garden. I yeah. I fucking hate it. So that <laughs> some people have Olive Garden as the place of their romance. I guess they like that tour of Italy. So <laughs> that made me laugh. Their breadsticks are pretty good. But here's part of my frustration with the beginning too, because I like this idea of the emancipation of Harley Quinn. How is she going to go about being a single woman? And they set up, you know, the Joker's always protected her. So I'm like, okay, this is a good little conflict. Again, I'm always trying to reconcile these things, partly because this is now playing and because I'm a comic book nerd and because I've seen all these DC movies. I'm like, where does this fit in the, is this before Suicide Squad? Because if this is after, wasn't she locked up at the end of Suicide Squad? Wouldn't everyone be after her if she's just roaming the streets like this? The very last scene of Suicide Squad was her being rescued again by Joker out of that jail cell. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She is out of there, but it's really telling that she's broken up with the Joker. She's not going to tell anyone. But this opening 
It's just a bit extra, isn't it? Up until the explosion at the Ace Chemicals, she's pole dancing and then breaking legs, she's drinking and then puking in a purse. It is as manic as the character. Yeah, I don't like it. The camera's doing these sweeps. It's too much at the beginning. I'm following it, but it seems like nonstop. Yeah, and it feels like she has ramped up that accent, which is now I'm just going to Fran Drescher and the nanny. That's not a good thing. I think she tones it down later, but this first 10, 15 minutes, whatever, I'm glad there's other players that come along and water down Harley because this is just too much. Margot Robbie is right. Do not do a standalone Harley Quinn film. Yeah, to quote Harley Quinn herself, she is known for being very vexing. And so I think it's strategic to give so much of her here in the beginning that we OD. And we're like, oh God, I don't think I can take it. It is like binging every episode of Pee-wee's Playhouse. And God, I don't want to do that. I just wanted Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That's why we're tempering it with four other women who are going to work in a different way. And so the question to ask as we meet each one is, are they compelling? Would you want to see a movie just about them? Obviously, they're not the same thing as Harley, thank God, but do they have their own shtick? The first one we're going to meet is Renee Montoya, played by Rosie Perez, who is also known for being in your face and too much from time to time. And having an annoying voice, too. I mean, if you're (laughs) talking about Margot Robbie and not liking hers, Rosie Perez, I know her as shrill. I mean, I love the movie White Men Can't Jump, but man, is she hard on the ears in that one. Now, I'll just throw in there, of course the studio wanted a younger actress here. This was Yan's first choice, though, and she fought for it. I think Rosie Perez is good in this movie. I like if she's this disillusioned cop, that she is older, that she is seasoned. I think she does really well here and does not bring that Mookie! Rosie Perez-ness. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're not doing that. I wonder how the comic book fans, because Renee Montoya is a big cult favorite in the DC comics. She is more of a hard-boiled detective with the Gotham City Police, and she's become the question, the, the character Rorschach was based off of. She took over that role for some time. Like She is a fan favorite in the comics, and this one, they make her goofier. Maybe they make her more real. She, I mean, I like the fact, again, this is about emancipation, so what is the house men screwed each of these women this one her partner took credit for a case that she broke and he got promoted to chief and she's still stuck as detective so i like that but they do kind of play her as goofy and incompetent like she's gonna wear a shirt about her shaved balls most of the film and it's a dumb joke that i didn't laugh at but oh my god people really wear that shirt that's a real shirt really is is that a midwest thing (laughs) no i've seen it at san diego comic-con I've seen it at New York Comic-Con. Is it from a movie or something? No, it's just a fucking shirt. People are shaving their balls and they're upset if they shave it for something that doesn't pay off. Okay, I guess that's a thing. Millennials, let me know. She's my favorite one. I'm actually going to say because she is not traditionally what we'd get in any other movie. Yeah, older. And yeah, she isn't super. She isn't a meta-human. She's just from, as one character will characterize it, an 80s bad cop spewing stereotypical lines. She feels from a different kind of movie and her gruffness plays well. It tempers well with the more manic humor. She's a straight man, essentially. And when she's funny, she's not intending to be. She's just trying to do her job. And the one thing they did retain from the comic, she is a lesbian. That is something from the comic that one of the early LGBTQ plus characters in the DC universe. So they retain that. So I'm sure that will get some praise. She's a lesbian in this. I did not get that. Yeah. How do you know that? Yeah, With Ali Wong. 
That's her girlfriend, or they dated at one point. Oh, I got so confused by that voiceover. That's why they're fighting throughout the film. Oh, my God. I thought she was saying, and I saw this again twice, and both times in the voiceover, I thought she was saying Ali Wong was the ex-girlfriend of the cop who became detective who took all the credit. No, her ex-girlfriend. Okay, yes. It sounds like this movie wants to push those boundaries, show LGBTQ representation, and yet they do it so quickly. Or maybe I just read that into it because I know she's a lesbian in the comic. Maybe you guys are right. Who knows? No, no, I think you might be right. But again, it's showing a little bravery, but it's also not wanting to linger on that. I think it makes sense because later this DA character that seems to have no point, a big moment is underlined that she betrays Renee. And so it's a lover's betrayal as much as anything. Yeah, Jacob, you saying that gave me a big aha moment because I couldn't follow what Harley was saying. And I was, I mean, I heard the words coming out of her mouth to go to our rush hour retrospective. But I really was like, why does it matter that she's the ex-girlfriend of this detective? Yes. But now that you've said it and it's saying that she, I think they just used too many pronouns instead of (laughs) regular names. But now that I know that they're exes, that makes sense of the, I'm sorry I did that to you. I didn't mean to throw you under the bus. That's how she knows that the DA's office is going after Roman as well. Is It was pillow talk. This It's a big aha moment for me now. <laughs> yeah, and something they could have given more consideration to. But again, this movie isn't really about the plot. It will have lots of fun dancing around. And I think a lot of this is ladled in here for you to rediscover when you watch it again and again. This movie feels like it's filled with Easter eggs. It feels like there are so many things that I missed going on in the background. Yeah, did you see Captain Boomerang? I did pick that one up, even before it was pointed out. (laughs) I didn't see it before it was pointed out, and I did have to look up when she's like, I know that guy. I did have to look it up because it's such a small picture, and honestly, that actor means nothing to me. (laughs) Jay Courtney, sure. Terminator 5? And speaking of Jay Courtney... He was in Die Hard 5, right? Yes. With Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And I thought that being in Die Hard 5 killed Mary Elizabeth Winstead's career. I am so upset about this because, yes, look, this is my favorite character. It's too bad there's so little of her. I think she is good. And I look back, what has she done? Apparently she's in Gemini Man last year. I saw that film. I don't even remember her (laughs) in that. The last thing I remember when she teamed up with Black Mask, Ewan McGregor in the third season of Fargo. She was really good. I don't understand why she doesn't have a better career. Maybe she picks bad films, but she is funny in this. I think she's good and she doesn't get a whole lot to do here and she comes into it very late but favorite character just for her portrayal later on i love mary elizabeth winstead i always will scott pilgrim just so good and i've liked her in stuff before that we reviewed her in grindhouse and that stuff the thing yeah but it felt to me after her cameo in a good day to die hard that she was sent to movie jail i didn't realize she'd done some television but i was shocked that they cast her here. I think it's been as long since I've seen Rosie Perez in a new movie as I've seen Mary Elizabeth Winstead in a new movie. And she is my favorite of this group as well, yeah. Jacob. Just, she's so awkward. I love it. Yeah. She's going to give me the one joke I laugh out loud later. 
It's what I was saying earlier with Margot Robbie. If you don't develop your own projects, this is what happens to you. She was an it girl. We love you. Everything. We're going to throw everything at you. Eh, we love her now. We're moving on. We don't care about you anymore. Hollywood is cruel. It is on you to find your next hit because they're not going to do it for you. And so, yeah, she is a talented actress who has had to go hand in hat begging for work and pops up. I've seen much of what she's done. She's always good, but I don't think that even this movie is probably going to be something that's going to help her find the next gig because so much of Huntress is a mystery. We're not allowed to spend much time with her because she's this mysterious crossbow killer that Renee is investigating. It's really a moment for her to look smart as a cop, and we won't know about Huntress for, I would say, 90 minutes of this movie. She gets to interact with the other main characters the absolute least. And that's a shame because I like her. Now, I'm going to throw something in here, though. I like Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. She's not my favorite character because we got Huntress in here, but I think she is a great Harley Quinn. I think her manicness, I can't imagine any other actress pulling it off, and she can pull it off tremendously. So you like Harley Quinn is, I guess, the question I would follow that up with. Take those eBay listings down. He wants the statues back. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I, I get that she's doing this cartoon character well, but I don't want to watch a movie with this character. Like, this is not a character that I'm drawn to. I actually like her in this movie. I do. I think she gives a great performance and... I think what's hurting her is the storytelling. The fact that we jump to this Renee Montoya, and that was a flashback of four minutes earlier. What is with the editing? Like, yeah, I don't like how this just jumps all over. There's going to be a point where I get very confused. I don't even know what the scene means, but... But Deadpool did this all day long, and you guys like that. Yeah, because it had jokes. I was laughing. The point wasn't storytelling. In lack of jokes, I am paying attention to the storytelling, and I'm not loving it. I think this one is more plot driven and the way it jumps around really it confused me the first time because we were introduced to these five characters. But by the end of the movie, I was like, wait, are there only five characters? It felt like we had a lot more introductions because it's just going to jump all over the place. Unlike you, Jacob, I think this is full of jokes. The humor is subjective. Do you find them funny? I really do like the scene. It's probably my favorite scene in the movie where Margot Robbie, all she wants is to eat this egg sandwich with the extra Armenian arm hair in it. And she is being chased by everybody and they just freeze frame and it's like who the person is and what their grievance with her is. Here's the thing. I have been annoyed by this movie. I hate this stuff. I just want to eat this. The sandwich does kind of look good. Take the hot sauce off. I don't want that, but I do love a good greasy diner sandwich. So I'll give Margot Robbie that, but I'm not laughing about her love for the sandwich. But when this all of a sudden turns into crank for a couple of minutes, yes. where it's like, oh, people have found out I'm single. So now everyone's chasing me. I kind of wish this was the movie. Do a run, Lola, run crank thing where you're just on the move the entire time. You have these other characters that you somehow incorporate and build a team. But I love this. Like Everyone's going to come after her. Yeah, here's the grievances. Again, I don't find the jokes too funny, but I, I don't mind how they're stopping to show like who they are and what she did to them. Uh, but I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm engaged again because I'm like, oh, this is a great movie. Single woman on the run because they find out she doesn't have a boyfriend to protect her yeah let's keep this momentum going yeah i think that it's 
told in the right way, my only struggles are the fact that I just don't want it. Much like Deadpool, I, I don't find Harley Quinn to be someone that I respect as a character. Like, I just, I don't like her. I don't want to be here. I just don't want to see this. But yeah, I think that if if committed to how do you tell this woman's story, this seems to be a good hook. This seems to be the kind of flippant way you would want to show and make her likable. It's really important that she's an anti-hero and not a villain or a repugnant character. We have to feel that what she's doing on some level is something that we'd want to do in her shoes. And I like the stunts that are going on here. They said that most of the women did all their own stunts. Rosie Perez proudly says she did all her own stunts. I, I'm going to call bullshit. Margot Robbie is not doing these fight scenes later on. Without every flip. The one I don't think she did is this awesome move where she runs into a bus and then like a parallel bar thing out the other side window. But it's a kick ass move. I'm like, wow, she's I didn't realize she was a ninja. And I do think you can tell that these actresses are doing it themselves because as far as fight choreography goes, it's not as great as some of the greatest stuff I've ever seen. It's okay. They cut around what's not great and it moves. I mean, there's a lot of energy in this movie and everyone's game. And, and I do like, you know, during this whole chase, you have Renee Montoya coming after Harley. Like everyone's coming after her. I do love Renee. Like she is the out of shape cop. Like she, you can tell she does not want to run. She's huffing and puffing. There's little subtle things like that that I enjoyed in this showing people's vulnerabilities. But they try to fake us out here because we don't know anything about Huntress. There's a moment here where this guy named Happy, a goon with a tire iron who has tattooed clown features on his face. And we have a flashback of Joker doing that, but that Joker from behind again didn't look like Leto to me. Right. And he, like everyone else in this chase scene, has some grievance with what Harley... Harley just encouraged Joker to put it on him, you know. Is that enough to get beaten with a tire iron? Apparently it is. But we are led to believe that Huntress pulls up in a motorbike that she is also one of the people that wants to kill Harley as well. Her motive is a question mark, but she fires and presumably misses, and it's happy that gets speared in the neck and dies. Yeah, the movie actually sort of lies, because after Happy gets shot in the neck, we get that freeze frame of Huntress, and it says name, question mark, question mark, question mark, grievance, question mark, question mark, question mark. So Harley's like, why does she want to kill me? And in that way, the movie is literally telling us she's trying to kill Harley when we're going to find out later she isn't. See, I, I, I didn't take it that way. I took it, oh, like she is going after these goons because maybe I had the meta knowledge that they're going to team up at some point. But I guess you could have people that want to kill each other team up too. We did get Hobbs and Shaw. But if this is Pee Wee, then we need a big adventure. We need a MacGuffin. We need a bicycle. In this case, it's going to be the Bertinelli diamond. That's going to be the thing that gets introduced when Renee goes back to the precinct and talks to her ex-cop, now the captain, and explains all this backstory. Yeah, this is an unenviable role for anyone to have to do. Rosie Perez doing it. I think we're supposed to be distracted by the I shaved my balls for this shirt. I think we're not supposed to be listening to this plot, because I don't know how in a molecular structure of a diamond you put account numbers. Did they say molecular structure? I thought it was just like laser etched, really small in there. Yeah, that's what I, I caught it on the second viewing. Molecular structure. I'm like, really? All right, what the fuck? You guys are saying it. 
more to the point, I don't know. I don't know how laws work, especially around the world. But like if an entire mob family dies who owns this fortune, like doesn't the government just take that money if there's no next of kin to give to inherit it? Or I don't know, maybe you have a crooked bank that just holds on to it. They specifically mention it's offshore accounts and those have different banking laws. I know in Sweden. That's why I said I don't know how laws outside the country work. So, OK. I mean, if you remember the Bourne movies yeah. where Bourne goes in and he has the secret account number and that's all he needs to get into the safety deposit box and take all the money. I think it's something like that. I, th- I took it like the Panama Papers. You know, recently it got leaked out that all of these very rich people around the world are laundering their money and that it all goes through, it sounds like this Burton Alley family bank. They're the launderers. And so I thought it was actually going to come back. I actually thought that like maybe the reason that the captain wasn't interested in investigating this is maybe he's dirty too, and one of his bank accounts is etched on this diamond as well. What's said is, the reason why Roman wants this is that he can then blackmail all the city officials and have all the real power over the powerful people of Gotham. Or pay them off, not blackmail the city officials, but bribe them. Oh, so it's not their money. No, he wants the money for himself to buy the city. Okay, this is the problem when you have a plot that's being told manically in voiceover. In constant flashback and cut up and yeah. I heard things that made me believe something that wasn't happening. And again, we could argue it's not really important as long as you're laughing. The point is a comedy and not a mystery. But yeah, so it's simply a matter of there's a bunch of money sitting somewhere And Roman wants to get it. Yeah, I mean, you could just say the diamond is priceless and somebody wants the diamond to sell for the money. It's all about billions and billions of dollars. And yeah, we see in flashback the Bertinelli family get killed. And we also are introduced in a side to Roman. You talk about confusion through voiceover. We meet Roman and he's got some people upside down and he's got his henchman Victor Zaz with him. And Zaz is cutting the face off someone and peeling it off. And in voiceover, we hear the guy with the face peeling fetish is Black Mask. So I thought Victor Zaz was Black Mask. (laughs) No, it turns out Ewan McGregor's Roman is Black Mask. I knew it was Ewan McGregor just because I know who Zaz is in the comics. He's just a serial killer who, just just like in this movie, yeah, every time he kills someone, does a tally mark in his body. Though this is not the first time we saw him in 2005's Batman Begins. There was a Zaz who really had nothing to do with the comics. That's right. I knew that name sounded familiar. Yeah, very minor character. I think just like one of the mobsters that's in court. But again, I think being confused is part of the mania this is creating. They're not concerned about making you unconfused. They're loving the fact that all of a sudden Harley's bursting into the precinct and blowing people away with a shotgun. With glitters. While at the same time, Renee is getting a phone call from the singer from the club. And what could all of this mean? Needle across the record. Let's go back a few days. The middle of the movie will largely walk us through and explain everything that we just saw. Act one was about creating a sense of chaos and fun that will be disentangled in the middle of the movie. And when Montoya went back to the police station, we were introduced to our fifth main character, Cassandra Kane. And on the second viewing, I noticed something. 
she's kind of coughing and seems like she has a sore throat. We find out in the flashback, she just swallowed that diamond that's the MacGuffin. And so if you put this movie in chronological order, there's a lot of little things like that that pay off that I caught the second viewing. This is not even the first time we're seeing her. The first time we saw her was at the roller derby. We'll learn that one of the things that Harley was doing to take her mind off Joker was beating up other girls on roller skates. And she was there in the audience cheering on with a pink cast on her arm. And Cassandra Kane, this is our Batgirl. Cassandra Kane in the DC comics is an Asian girl who is raised to be an assassin and eventually becomes Batgirl for a short time and works with Batman. So at least they gave her the name Cassandra Kane. Like, I don't know if she's going to become Batgirl or orphan as she later became named in the comics, but th there's a nod here. If you want your Oracle, this is as close as you're going to get. So we've met all the characters. Why should we care? It's a great question. I don't know that I do. <laughs> I don't know that this chaos has been more funny than just baffling, but as we get into the middle of this movie, it's slows down in a way that I can process it like a movie I enjoy. Well, yeah, because we see Harley storm this police station. Before we get the resolution to the scene, we're going to go on a big, long flashback to figure out who Cassandra Kane is, who Black Canary is, how they're going to really get involved in this plot. Starting at Black Mask Club, and, and we'll see that Dinah Lance, Black Canary, is belting out It's a Man's World. What we're led to believe in this moment is that this is the first person she's told Joker broke up with me. But she did have some girl chicks that were hanging out with her at a taco restaurant that were gossiping that some people aren't supposed to be on their own. That's later because that's what makes her blow up Ace Chemicals. I thought this was the same night she broke Roman's driver's legs at the beginning of the film. It is. It is? Yeah. Yeah. But it hasn't happened yet. Well, then she blows up the chemicals right after that. No, she blows up the chemicals after the roller derby girls. But Black Canary's the singer at the nightclub who she gives that speech to. And it's in the trailer. A Harlequin is nothing without a master. Beyond that, nobody cares who we are. Is she telling Black Canary nobody cares who you are except for the fact that you work for Ewan McGregor's Roman? I Yes. I mean, why is that hard yeah. to understand? Yes, that's exactly what she's saying. No one cares who women are is basically that. That's the point of it. Yes, exactly. We're ornaments for the men in their stories. And in most comic book movies, that would be a true assessment. Yeah, Arnie, you, you talked about, oh, male teams always have a female. But a lot of times the, the female in, in a male-oriented action film is there for the love interest. They're not a real character to save the day. Now, yeah, you could bring up Black Widow, things like that. But traditionally, that is the role women have played in male-oriented action films. So, yeah, for me, this feels like this is about women. We're often ignored. We're not the heroes. And so, yeah, you're just a singer. This scene made me a little bit uncomfortable is because we're going to find out what brings Black Canary into the superhero world is Harley Quinn is rebounding, getting drunk, and almost gets date raped. I thought the joke was going to be that she was actually in control. She's going to make that joke and then pass out, though. So, yeah, it comes off as kind of not great. So to be clear, this is the first time that she's told anyone that I'm no longer under the protection of Joker. She's showing that she's vulnerable. And so Dinah, who doesn't really like Harley Quinn, nobody does, has to ask herself, do I get involved when I'm stepping out there? This is a moment for this character, because up to this point, we haven't really seen much of her. Why should we 
care. We care because she has ethics. She is not going to allow these men to take advantage of a drunk woman, even if it's a woman she doesn't like very much. She almost does. I mean, you get that moment. She's in the car and she's hemming and hawing and having that moral dilemma. But then she gets out and she kicks ass. And you mentioned Batgirl, Jacob. I was thinking Batgirl when Black Canary starts fighting. Because if you remember Batman 66, I always noticed Batman and Robin, they fight with their fists. But Batgirl, she fought with her legs. And I don't know if that's because they think women don't have upper body strength and can't punch hard. But almost everything Black Canary does is a solid kick. To some groins, to some necks. And part of the costume for Black Canary in the comics, like, it's it's very male gaze. She's got a black bodysuit with fishnet stockings. But, yeah, let draw attention to her legs. I feel like that's what the comic's always doing. But here, Diana, I don't know. She's got those gold tight pants on. I feel like they're always trying to draw attention to the legs, as, even though she's... I think she's got fishnets on at the very end. I remember during the press stuff of Birds of Prey after it came out and male gaze on Harley Quinn was a big topic because of all the time she bent over in those short shorts in front of the camera. And Margot Robbie said specifically, there will be no male gaze in future Harley Quinn movies. And I don't think we have any of it here. I just noticed she was kicking a lot. Like Chun-Li, you know, Chun-Li, her best power is her <laughs> kick if you're fighting in Street Fighter 2. But I think she's a tough woman here who does save Harley. And I'm just saying those pants were so tight, I was able to tell the model of iPhone <laughs> she had in her back pocket just from the bulge. And it impresses Roman, too, because he's watching from the window. He had just employed her as a singer. His driver's legs are broken. He needs a new one. So hire her. If she can fight, she can be my driver. She can start 9 a.m. tomorrow. Which is weird because like we see her sing and like she could break glasses with her voice, which maybe that's a liability. Maybe that's why he doesn't want her singing anymore in the club gonna shatter all those champagne flutes and everything but yeah it's, you're gonna take your your main attraction i guess and and turn her into a driver okay whatever i mean this this is a goofy film roman's a goofy character so i kind of just go with it when we get to you mcgregor i'm like is he gay i'm like no i think he's just androgynous he's like into everything or nothing who knows to me i read that as a play on andy warhol andy warhol was known for someone that didn't like to be touched and so, like, you know, he was pop art all over everything, but always with the gloves, always like, ooh, you know, like just a little standoffish, a little fay. I, I feel like Ewan McGregor, you, you never see him not wearing the gloves. He, he loves his objects, his statues. One time he's got eyeliner on, and I, I don't know, I love his performance. It's a weird performance, but it is, it fits this film. It fits this vibe that you want to go for with the Harley Quinn-centric film, and I, I do really enjoy his performance because it is so bizarre. I kind of thought he was hitting on Black Canary when she comes up to his apartment, and he's, like, showing her around, but... No, he really likes his mask. He just wants to show off his yeah, mask. Yeah, the way, the way he's talking about the shrunken heads is like, he died a thousand years ago and now he's in my living room. <laughs> no, he's gay. He's not, he's not in any way objectifying her. He is bringing her into the club. And yes, he wants her to be impressed with his things and materialism. Again, all that Warholian idea. And so she now has an interesting vantage point into the criminal world that Renee wants. Renee will approach her and be like, you know, you need to work for me. And Alinus said, I don't know if I, anybody can answer this. Alinus said, think of your mother. And we learned that Dinah's somebody's kid. 
Well, I think that's a nod to the comics because, again, in the very convoluted DC history, there has been a Black Canary since like the 40s or 50s, a very long time. And how is she still in her 20s in 2000? Oh, well, retcon. She actually had a mom who dressed up the same way and called herself Black Canary. So I think it's just a nod to that character's origins that, that she had a mom that was Black Canary that was a superhero and she carried on the legacy. And this mom ended up dead in the streets that's why dinah doesn't want to collaborate with the police anymore i'm wondering when we see wonder woman set in 1984 if we're going to meet that character or if someone doesn't get killed in the streets in the way that this is described you said yourself they're getting away from connectivity we will not be seeing that (laughs) and i was confused because Dinah does turn down Renee here saying, no, I'm not going to help you. But I earlier I saw her calling from a bathroom saying something about the diamond. They're coming for the diamond. And I don't think they ever explicitly say, but I'm like, oh, she has a relationship with Cassandra. We'll see that in this apartment building, too. So I think when she finds out that Cassandra is the one with the diamond, because she'll see that, that that is why she turns. But throughout the film, I'm like, why? Why is Black Canary getting involved? And then I finally remembered, oh, yeah, she knows Cassandra. So that's... That's the reason. Again, I I wish it was a little bit cleaner. You could wish for it cleaner or you could celebrate that it's so messy. You can go either way with it. I want plot points cleaner. You could do a gonzo crazy movie, but essential plot points and character motivations, I would kind of like clean. I'll just call it out. I mean, we didn't want it that way in Pulp Fiction. Like the reason why people love Pulp Fiction so much is that it's cut up and you go, why? And then tw- two hours later you go, oh... Yeah, but each segment, I understand characters in each segment. Like, uh, that—that that is a much more well-crafted, uh, non-chronological film. Oh, it is. I b- Believe me, this is not Pulp Fiction, but the aspiration is there. Yeah, the aspiration's there, but it's failing. Not a total failure, but it's just not as clean. I'm with Jacob. I mean, Deadpool was non-chronological. I was thinking about, but this one jumps around so much. The movie that came to mind was fucking Memento. where the whole thing's backwards. (laughs) The fact that we jump back four minutes, then we jump back a week, and then we jump forward, we jump back. It really does make it hard to follow in a single viewing. And it made me, the first viewing, I walked out of there really disliking this movie because I couldn't follow any character arcs. I couldn't, because we jump around so goddamn much and they try to have five main characters, all of whom are supposed to have arcs and really seven. If you include black mask and Zaz, there's so many characters. I couldn't keep track of what all was going on in a given moment. In a given scene. Yeah, the, th- the difference is, for me, the main difference is, in a Tarantino movie, he's not going to be spastic. You might have a crazy action scene. You might have Kill Bill, certainly, will have this kind of over-the-top action for 20, 30 minutes. But when it's time to meet characters, you're going to really meet them. And they're going to monologue, and you're going to spend time with them, and you're going to know what they're about. And here, it's all predicated on just keeping it forward. Don't stop to look. You'll figure it out when you watch it a third time. And I do think that one of the cleanest characters in this flashback is Cassandra Kane. Like, I get it. She's an orphan. She's got these foster parents that are always fighting. So she's going out on the street. Like, this is my second favorite character. I don't know who this actress is, if she's done anything, but I'd be intrigued. I'd, I'd want to see her do something else because I thought she was pretty good as this, like, teenage criminal. Yeah, I, my one question was, I didn't know how dark they were playing with it. It is R-rated. But she's sitting on that staircase when Black Canary passes by. 
and she makes a joke about you know her face getting all beat up her arm is in this cast i know that's where she keeps her money but we also we also hear her foster parents screaming upstairs sounding violent sounding abusive is she in an abusive home environment they tease that idea that she could actually be a battered kid i think that's why she has the cast is because her parents broke her arm or because it's a great place to hide your loot when you're pickpocketing yeah i i kept waiting for the reveal that she was going to take it off and it was just a, a fake thing where she could hide stuff but that never happened yeah it's unclear and maybe nebulous is the way to play it because only people like us are going to notice this and and care and have this sudden empathy for this child that's being beat but the point is she's going to kick things into gear by stealing the MacGuffin. I, I don't know why it's here at gotham city imports but the diamond is suddenly known its whereabouts are known after 16 years of not being known yeah rosie perez drops the line that there's a shipment coming in which i would think would be you know a big shipment you say a shipment's coming in i think you go to the docks but the shipment that came in i guess maybe he used dhl but he got the diamond Okay, for whatever reason, and maybe if I even try to spend a little more time on this, this is set in motion by Huntress actually mailing the diamond. We know that she's the one that's had it all these years. She sends it there as a way of her starting her whole revenge plot. She did? Wait, do we know that? Did she take all the money? Because I'm like, why doesn't she care about getting this diamond? There's a whole thing where her mom hands her something before the family's killed. I thought that was going to be like the real diamond hidden in something. And it wasn't? She had it all... No, it was a toy truck. But it didn't have the diamond? She had the diamond. No. no. Why did I think she did? I don't know, but she never had the diamond. That would make sense for her trying to get her fortune, but it doesn't seem to be a motivation. And at the end, Har I mean, just to jump ahead, Harley steals the diamond again, and yet we're told that Huntress got the family fortune, but I don't ever see the diamond goes from Cassandra's butt to a pawn shop yeah yeah i i just assumed they took the account numbers off of it at some point yeah I, I, for some reason i thought when we actually learned the bertinelli backstory from her vantage point we saw that she had it i thought that's what they were telling us and then i think it just ends up being a stupid joke that she's held onto a toy truck this whole time it's okay what they're telling us is that we don't need to ask and so i will politely <laughs> move on to the point that i was trying to make is that zaz has the diamond he's ready to bring it back to his boss but cassandra comes walking down the street ripping off everyone that she sees old ladies sitting on benches whatever it doesn't matter she lifts it and then gets arrested and because she doesn't want to be she knows the value by biting into it she's she's a good grifter she decides it's better to swallow this thing so the police can't put it in the detainment room bad police work you always handcuff a perp when you put them in the back of your car i don't care if they are a 14 year old girl and this is sort of getting us back to where we were at the at the head of the flashback the reason why harley is now barging into a police precinct is because everyone wants this girl wants this diamond it's the reason why renee got that phone call from black canary the word is out roman has told everyone half a million dollars if you get this girl Stuart, this is where I do agree with you. It is just about chaos because Roman basically goes, for shits and giggles, I'm going to put a bounty on her too, even though we have Harley going to get her. Yeah, well, why would you put... I mean, it's a fool that trusts Harley to get the job done. I mean, yes, he has her. There was some talk about just torturing her for fun while they wait, but Harley talks them into the idea that she can... Uh, diamonds are a girl's best friend. She does a musical number. I can find a diamond. I can find uh, pictures of Eleanor Roosevelt naked if I 
want to. I'm curious about that story. So for whatever reason, she sent as the bounty hunter. But yeah, I would hire other bounty hunters. And, and why not? The diamonds are a girl best friend bit. Cut it. It's so bad. Well, I think so many people are going to think it's material girl from Madonna and not know it goes back to Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, but it is material girl from Madonna. I know it's Marilyn Monroe, but they're doing Madonna. Well, to be clear, Madonna stole from Marilyn Monroe in that video, but... Yeah, no, I get it. The point is that this is a movie that's very happy to digress, to sidestep, to create camp and musical numbers. Maybe it should have been a musical, you know? Maybe it would have been more fun if there were more songs and more performances yeah if this was a thing throughout the film maybe i would have bought into it more but it comes in about 30 minutes in and then it never happens again i actually love this film soundtrack it's as good as suicide squad soundtrack which is the best thing out of suicide squad but here i'm glad we don't get a full-blown musical number i thought we were going to from that awful awful trailer but i like where it goes which is just quick cuts the guy she's dancing with her in gimp masks or something. It only goes on for a few seconds, but I like it as a perversion of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. And Harley Quinn is mentally ill. In case you forget this and just think that she's colorful and fun, she actually is schizophrenic. She hears voices, she sees things that aren't there, and this reminds you that not, not to trust her too much, that there's something really wrong. Yeah, I don't trust her already. I didn't need that reminder. And I get really annoyed, though, because Harley Quinn, we've seen her in Suicide Squad. She kept going, we're bad guys, remember? So I take her as a bad guy. It frustrates me that this film plays it so safe that when she goes to storm a police station like in Terminator, instead of using bullets, she's using beanbags, and yet we'll never see her do that with anybody else. Yeah, and glitter, and yeah. Well, what would it mean if she were killing them? What would it do for the mood? Would that take the bubbles out of the champagne? I, I think if you frame it right, you could have corrupt cops, and I don't have a problem seeing corrupt cops get shot up. You could position the Gotham PD to be awful people people you could get it more sympathetic especially in an exploitation movie kind of way like mm -hmm. often you have cops getting shot because they are so bad and you go with it so you you could have framed it if they wanted to and that could be what stopped Montoya's investigation and why she's pulled off the case is corruption and Harley comes in and pulls a Terminator but no she's got the fun gun as it's written on the side of it and She's going to do this all non-lethal. She's going to leave some black eyes and some broken bones, but they play it so damn safe. And that was my problem with Deadpool 1, too, is he was supposedly this mercenary killer, and what's he doing? He's telling stalker pizza delivery boys to back off. It, it frustrates me that they don't have the balls to go there. Well, I hear what you're saying. I noticed it even in the moment. I wonder what it would mean if they had gone that cynical and that dark. I can already, I feel like this movie is edgy. We all know that children go to see R-rated movies. There is a young girl sitting a couple seats away from you. I was pretty shocked. Yeah, and so it's going to advocate shoplifting, pickpocketing, drinking margaritas, underage, a lot of bad messages. I feel like this movie is plenty unethical, Arnie. So to have it go the extra step of our main heroine blowing the face off of people with shotguns, it would be a movie only for us, I think. It would not be for them. I'm just tired of saying these people are bad people, look at how bad they are, and they're not bad people. She snorts cocaine when she's in the uh, confiscation room and they blow up all that. I love that. 
that is the thing when they introduce bad guys like for some reason she's getting cassandra out of a cell weirdest looking cell i've ever seen they're like individual cages but it is gotham they have animal themed villains so maybe you need zoo cages like that but all the doors open and all these criminals come out and now instead of escaping they want to sit there and fight harley quinn i guess it would have helped maybe if they put up you know what their grievances were because i'm like i guess just every single person has a grievance but yeah she defeats them and that's where i'm like that that is not margot robbie doing these fights and these flips but good job making it look like her great editing there but yeah when these other bounty hunters come and start shooting yeah that cocaine i wish they would have done like a little Popeye tune like I do love like she gets hopped up on cocaine and that gives her power I think they CGI her uh, pupils because those things get really yes. big and round yeah no have more humor like that again I'm not laughing out loud but I'm like yeah this is what the movie should be and the sprinkler systems are going off because she set those off while rescuing Cassandra and she's doing this fight and the rain is so stylized at everything and what I'm thinking is they're really trying to make Harley Quinn John Wick she's sliding she's breaking bones and then after the movie I find out all the action scenes were filmed by Chad Stahelski one of the directors of John Wick he was the second really? unit director he did all the reshoots and he did the action scenes and that's why I got such a John Wick vibe I thought they were trying to rip off John Wick no they hired the guy who made John Wick and I do know a lot of times you know in films that have a big action scene they might bring a second unit director that specializes in stunts or choreography to, to help out I don't know if Jan was on set during this stuff but I did I it's funny you say John Wick because especially with Black Canary when we see her fighting it just feels very brutal like John Wick would do I thought this stuff with all the water like it still feels like even in Wonder Woman, they have to do this slow motion stuff and it's we still got to do that Snyder stuff like that is our one connective tissue between all these movies, just like slow motion, everything particles you could see just floating in air. I mean, it's also worth pointing out Deadpool used the John Wick other guy to direct that as same well. guy. I thought that was Dietrich Leach. No, they they got Leach to direct, but Stahelski did the stunts on Deadpool 2 as well. Right. So. On some level, this is all them very much calculating how can we emulate that giant hit Deadpool as closely as possible. And so I, I'll ask the room, how are, how well are they doing it? How much, as two people that like Deadpool, how much are you getting the same thing at this point in the movie? Again, I because of lack of what I perceive as funny jokes, I, I'm not thinking of Deadpool a whole lot unless Harley's like looking at the camera saying something. I like these action scenes. I, I If they had to bring in another director who is more specialized in this, I think that's the right thing to do. Like, because this is a comic book movie. This is a superhero movie. You want good action scenes. And I like these fights. I think they're good. But, you know, because I was thinking about John Wick, I'm like... She is no John Wick. I mm -hmm. think that they maybe CGI'd her face on when she does that slide, although... They definitely did. <laughs> they're promoting they did a, most of their own stunts, so maybe she was able to pull off that slide. I don't know. But Stuart was sitting two seats away from me. We went to see this movie together, and I had this thought right after this scene. I now understand what Stuart said when he read Arrow Deadpool, because this is what Deadpool is like if nothing's funny to you. Right, exactly <laughs> so. That's why I'm turning to you guys to measure this. I read out it. I want to say I turned it to a green because I ended up liking the characterizations. This movie's not going to have that same kind of characterization, but does it have the same joke? Does it have the same action? I don't feel like it does. You guys are confirming it. 
I think this action is better than the first Deadpool where they had no money and like that one felt pretty lacking. I, I again, I think this is pretty good action. How well is it motivated and why is she fighting people that just walked out of a cell? I got questions about that. But when punches start getting thrown, I'm into it. I think I'm more into Deadpool just because he has swords. You know, I like sword violence. She's got a baseball bat. I like when she's got to pick her weapon, goes with the bat. Yeah, I like it when she bounces it on the ground and then it hits the guy's head and then she catches it. I thought that was cool. But I really, I just had this moment of empathy for you, Stuart, because I'm not laughing and I'm not enjoying myself and the violence is what it is. And so I'm just finding myself really detached from the film at that point. Although the difference is when I was sitting there having that experience in Deadpool, everyone else around me was disagreeing because everyone was howling. And here, I didn't hear a whole lot of laughter in the audience. Like I said, it was a low rumble. Like where mm-hmm. if I listened closely, I could hear people kind of chuckling. And but yeah, it was not laugh out loud, hilarious knee slapping. Well, in addition to going to the movie with Stuart, my friend Ryan was with us and he sat on the other side of me. And he's the DC guy. Whenever I need DC movie stuff answered, like when Steppenwolf showed up and didn't sing a rock song, (laughs) I asked him about it. He was on the other side. He was laughing up a storm and he didn't want to go. I had to drag him to this movie. He's like, because that trailer sucked. Yes. He's like, all right, I guess I'll go because nobody would be sitting on the other side of me and I can have a comfy seat. I'll go with you. And he was laughing and I kind of looked at him like, I know he's loving this film and he didn't even want to be here. He is laughing so hard. And I'm like, really? You're finding it that funny? That was just going through my head. I didn't say it. I mean, I'm not going to be rude. <laughs> I hope he doesn't listen. But I'm just... You're not going to be Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> I just was like, wow. He is—he was the only one. <laughs> but he was laughing so much. But he's such a DC fanboy. I wonder if that really helped. It couldn't hurt. And it's telling that a DC fanboy had some reservations about going to this because of the trailers. But I think we're all saying this mood is better than what the trailers gave. The trailers tried to give us a shortcut. And when you see it in two minutes, you go, ah, here, watching it unfold, there's a lot more wit. There's a lot more intelligence to the way this is put together. But yeah, the joke I do like, here's where I can land. The joke I do like is the idea of popularity. At one point, Harley Quinn was untouchable because she was Joker's girl and everyone claimed to consider her their best friend. But now that she doesn't have that status, everyone can actually admit the truth. The line between being popular and being hated is that thin. We actually hate you even when you're popular, but we're afraid of you because you can hurt us. And now you're an easy target. So everyone hates you except one. Cassandra is the only person that likes the Harley after the fact. She doesn't even know who Joker is. She just thinks that this is a badass chick she would like to emulate. But at any rate, they wind up at a place where she thinks she has another ally, Doc's Chinese restaurant. But in fact, this is the point where everyone gets betrayed. And Doc will be the person to sell out Harley Quinn while they're upstairs chillaxing. 
this is where I get super confused because, yes, they're going to go up and they're going to have their bonding moments. Huntress is going to walk in. This is where we finally get her backstory, her reveal. She's going to come in. She's going to order the number 32 with mild chili. You're supposed to get it with a lot of chili so you don't have to taste the meat. But she gets mild. So I'm like, okay, Huntress, now she's going to go after Harley. And then other people come after Harley. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, why did Huntress even show up just to reveal her name and backstory? Because that's how the only way they could fit it into this movie. Partially, but also it is said that Doc knows everyone in the underworld. He knows people are after Harley and after Cassandra, and yet he's meeting Cassandra for the first time. He knows everything that's going on, so it kind of makes sense that Huntress would go to him because the last person on her hit list is Zaz. But she's not going after Harley. No, she's going after Zaz, but this guy would know where Zaz is. That That is sloppy-ass storytelling. Well, here's what they're trying to do. Again, they're trying to lead you to believe this entire movie that Huntress has a grievance against Harley and is going to stop at nothing to kill her. And we will find out that at, at that end point where she has the opportunity, oh, no, I really just want to kill all the people from the firing squad. It's in this moment where she's talking to Doc that we finally realize she was there at the Bertinelli massacre. She was this little girl, and we see it, we see it replayed again, and her brother hands her a toy car or something like that. I thought, I thought it was her mother. I couldn't tell. It was her mom. It was. Oh, okay. Again, if it was supposed to be important, I would have lingered a little bit more. You can tell me if it's important to you. The fact that they showed it and made a point to show it like when they didn't before just told me, okay, whatever she handed her is important. I thought it was going to be the real diamond. I thought it was the box with the diamond in it, but later on, we find out it's just a toy car. She's going to hand it to Cassandra. Yeah, it, it's a joke, and that's kind of how they play Huntress, and, and maybe that's why she kind of works, because she isn't taken seriously. She Because, I, again, that's a thing for all the women here, is they're not taken seriously. they got to prove themselves that they could be independent and all that, that she goes through all this training. She becomes this badass ninja with a crossbow and everyone just wants to call her the crossbow killer. And she's got to sit there practicing her intro. I'm Huntress, I'm Huntress. I love that in the mirror and she never gets to say it. It's funny. Yeah, I, I look forward to a sequel where she can be more of a participant. Yes, where she is in it for more than 10 minutes. Because I do like her, but she can't be my favorite one here because she's not really here. Again, she's so barely in the storyline. We're so much more time being spent with a stuffed beaver and what a hyena <laughs> upstairs i mean i just feel like so much floor needs to be given to harley's fetishes that these other birds of prey are just walk-ons and in this flashback i do want to call out there is one good guy in this film for a reason unknown even though he killed all of huntress's family he was one of the gunmen he's going through the bodies and finds that Huntress is still alive, leaves her buried under the corpses of her mother, and sneaks her off where she could be trained as an assassin. This character has no lines, he never gets to speak, he's a stuntman slash extra, and he's the only man in this movie who doesn't betray or try to harm our main character. So does she kill him? I mean, one thing that's not clear because we're following Harley Quinn and not Huntress is we'll eventually learn that she's going through the list of the firing squad. The guy we saw murdered in the beginning at the restaurant, arrow in his throat that Renee was investigating. He was part of that. Was this man that saved her spared? I'm pretty sure he was. I would think if he sent her to Sicily, he probably gets a pass, right? Even though he yeah. did pull triggers on their family members. I mean, he's just as culpable on some level. But 
it doesn't matter. It's sloppy storytelling because she's not the main character. And, and Arnie, are you dinging this because it's like, oh, here's the, the only one good man? Because I kind of feel like, I think it was Brock who talked about the message mallet with Black Christmas, the, the one that came yep, out yep. last year. I kind of like that when it is in an exploitation movie, like you want it like turned up to 11 and that, I don't know. My problem with like Charlie's Angels is it wasn't turned up to 11 and and so it just comes off more as pandering as like in your face. And and so again, I, it's one guy, they don't make a big deal out of it. I don't know. I kind of, I just want to put that out there. I don't mind it when that message mallet, when it's Harley Quinn size, oversized and just in your face like uh, yeah that's kind of the point you ask if i ding it no i'm not dinging it i'm calling it out i noticed it in a period where everybody on twitter seems to be so hyper goddamn sensitive that i can't be on twitter anymore i notice these things i don't have a problem with them is it fun that it's about women killing men unfortunately this movie isn't as fun as it thinks it is (laughs) At least to me. Uh, Yeah, I kind of agree. And it has nothing to do with men being beaten up. It's that the jokes aren't landing as hard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I... there's so many crotch punches in this film, and that's usually funny. People, Men get kicked in the crotch, men get punched in the crotch. There's, I think, a beanbag to the crotch, and I'm not laughing, and I think that's supposed to make me laugh. I don't have any problem with the sexual politics of this movie. I just think there are people who will, and so I want to call it out that if they say it, they're not wrong. And I think it is, again, a symptom of lack of self-confidence to have a female story where male characters would help. Yeah, but at the same time, how many movies have we seen where women are objectified and thrown away and are trash and misogynist? I mean, all of film noir is filled with movies that skew the other way. And we like some of those movies. I gotta say, I like this Huntress origin way more than the comic where she was, like, raped and it's just gross. Like, yeah, she's a mob kid. She's kind of like a reverse or or a skewed version. Not a reverse, but a skewed version of Batman where she's from this very rich family and they get murdered. She's the one survivor and she becomes a hero. She's more anti-hero. She's very violent in the comics and Batman's always like, I don't I like that you're going after bad guys. I don't like how you do it, though, because you're willing to kill. Yeah, she's very awkward. We will see that she just doesn't know how to interact with others. It will be a a useful skill to have any kind of friends because I think for 16 years she's done nothing but but train in the dark with, with adults that don't play with her. Later on when she does the line, it's a crossbow, not a bow and arrow. Do I look like I'm 12? Like, that is the one time I actually laughed out loud. Like, I love Winstead in this performance. I think she does the the humor and that awkwardness very good here. It sells me on this character. Yeah, she's always been the quirky kind of girl, and I think it works well for her here. And her delivery... I, too, wish she had more to do in this film because I like what she does with it. I, I think in Suicide Squad, we found I found Harley Quinn was a good Spicoli, you know, a character who got some screen time, but not all the screen time here. I agree with Margot Robbie. Don't give a Harley Quinn solo film, but here she, it's. It's kind of a Harley Quinn solo film. It's it's kind of like if you called him Jim Morrison and the Doors. It's Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. And I think Huntress, I wish I had more time with and Harley Quinn less. What I would say is you could have all of this happen in the middle and then you have Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey teaming up for half a movie. Whereas it is, it feels like it really is 
just something for a climax. And even the climax skews Harley. Yeah, it should be two acts of the Birds of Prey, not 20 minutes. But here, Doc sells him out. But even more confusing, some other guy we'll never know with long hair blew up her apartment anyway. What is this guy's grievance? Because his name is like an emoji, and I was trying to figure out what the emoji was, then his grievance? Did she cut off his dick? It's an eggplant with the cross through it. Yeah, eggplant is emoji for I want to give you my dick, and I think because it had the cross through it, it meant she wouldn't sleep with him. Oh, I thought she cut his dick off. I thought that's what it was saying. (laughs) So... Yes, things are in chaos. Bruce is supposedly dead. And I wish that Hyena had more time. I think he's my favorite character in the movie, (laughs) to be perfectly honest. Was he CGI? I couldn't tell if he was animatronic or CGI. Like, he had an odd movement to him, but I liked it. He was definitely CGI. Yeah, I mean, you don't have a real hyena doing the lady and the tramp on licorice with your star producer. Well, I I just want to give kudos to whoever animated him. I like how you did it. That was the one thing in the trailer that got me going was the hyena giving us a little laugh. I'm like, if I don't like anything else in this movie, I'm going to like that hyena. Uh, And I almost was like really upset because they're going to make us think Bruce is dead. I know you don't like dead dogs. No. But they kept saying he's missing. He's missing. Yeah, I knew he was coming back. Yeah, I I figured since they said missing, he was coming back. Yeah. So now we're uh, there's all this betrayal happening. Doc has betrayed his lotus flower and sold her out to get money for a new restaurant and Harley Quinn is going to turn around and do the same thing to Cassandra. She's ready to call up Roman and say, you know what? I've got her. You can have her. Let's meet for the climax at the amusement park. And we get this slow version of Hit Me With Your Best Shot. That is a really good version of that song. I normally not one for covers, but this is so different than the original. And they've been playing a lot of standards. Like we heard Black Betty early on and some others. Just some like Barracuda is going to be for a big action Yeah, Barracuda, yeah. Barracuda has sold out so much, I don't... Yeah, but it's a a female-fronted song. That's the point. There's a lot of female-fronted songs. There's a lot of them on the album. Do you gotta bring out the one that was in Charlie's Angels 1? I mean, seriously. Ah, it's a good song. I like it. I used to. It's just overplayed, and it's overplayed in movies. And I wish that they... Bring out Hole, you know? Give me some Riot Girl instead of this. I mean, that's kind of what Captain Marvel did. I was about to say, they've gone through all the anthems. Uh, the Runaways, Cherry Bomb. I've heard them all. Yeah. yeah. We, there, there's a limited catalog of where this thing works, and they went to some obvious tropes. But yeah, it's a pretty ominous, hit me with your best shot. We also get the moment we talked about earlier with the DA betraying Renee, and now she's suspended as a cop. She has no uh, batch anymore and we do get black mask he's getting really frustrated about not being able to get the diamond and he's going to take it out on some poor person in his club he's like i don't i didn't get this scene yeah this person's just laughing at a table and he's like is she laughing at me yeah, so let's force her to be sexually assaulted and have her clothes cut off. Like, uh, I don't I don't get it. I know it's rated R, but it just seems out of place. I, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't because we had prostitution to get a hyena and date rape almost. Uh, I don't know. Just none of that stuff really works for me. I didn't like this scene. I wish it was coming. Yeah. 
Well, I think what it does, if it does anything well, if up to this point you thought Roman was charming, funny, villain, he now becomes repulsive. He's become someone that you actually want to be killed. And maybe they were finding in early test screenings that he was charting better than some of the birds of prey. And and they didn't want you to like him. So this scene will correct that. You won't like him after this scene. It just, it felt so out of place. And yeah, you're right. I did like Ewan McGregor in this. I liked how... The voice he was doing, not his accents or anything like that, and the way he was playing it, I found him a funny villain. You know, I, w- I was thinking again of Deadpool, he's a much better villain than Francis, you know, in Deadpool oh, yeah. 1, <laughs> but this scene where they take the woman and put her up and, you know, there's no nudity, she's got a very covering bra and she still gets to keep her dress to hold against her, but is this supposed to be the scene that turns Black Canary against him fully? Because Black Canary, she get, a tear runs down her cheek and she tries to leave, he won't let her leave. I, I think she's already turned because she knows that this guy is going after her friend in the apartment. That Cassandra is his target and, you know, maybe she's starting to feel positive things about Harley. I don't think so quite yet, but you know, she's also betrayed because in route, she's the driver. She's driving Zaz to the amusement park. Black Mass doesn't even want to go there. He's outsourcing the dirty work to the henchman that slices off faces. She gets a text and Zaz realizes that she is talking, that she's ratting. And so, yes, this is what brings Ewan McGregor into it. You're saying she's being betrayed. She's betraying Black Mask. Turn off your notifications, lady. Don't leave things to for people to see. Like, yeah, she is a rat. She's the good guys, but she betrayed him first. So the, I don't see that as, as a full betrayal. They're the bad guys. They want that thing, and she's standing in the way. You know, there's no honor among thieves, but in super teams, there must be. So if this is the moment where everything pivots and suddenly they're going to work together, we have to find a reason why everyone suddenly is willing to do that. Everyone descends on this booby trap ride and suddenly we have birds of prey all of a sudden. I think Zaz is the glue that gets these girls all together. They're going to all take a lick at him. I do feel like the biggest laugh I heard of the entire show was when uh, Harley gets tranked and then takes that trank and stabs him a few times in the chest. She can't move, but she's able to move that one arm. And so it's this ineffectual stab, stab, stab. And then Montoya comes in and says, stop. And Harley just one more stab. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that seemed to be... A moment. Again, killing a henchman is is a thing that's going to unite you. And yes, so they're all in the same room. I'd rather, if you're going to have this be a female-centric film, I'd rather have them all come together to kill a man than like to have some dancing like you would do in some female empowerment romance movie where they all get drink wine and dance around the table forgetting their ex-boyfriends. I'm so glad we didn't get that moment in this film. Instead, we're just going to murder some dude. I don't care whether the bad guy is a guy or a girl, but to go to Catwoman, this is so much better than Sharon Stone as a bad guy, you know? (laughs) Let's not go to Catwoman. They're not trying to go to Catwoman. Again, this is not, it's campy, but that movie didn't know. You know, like, I feel like that movie was camp unintentionally, whereas this movie is having its fun. You know, you get this big action sequence at the end. There's no big blue laser in the sky, thank God. Like 90% of superhero movies. No, they're just going to fight in a fun house. And to me, that is fun. Like, there's no way this fun house actually exists anywhere in the world. I couldn't understand what the ride was. 
No, it's it's like these rubber hands that like you could slap people with and it did feel like the amusement park that Joker hung out in in Batman the Animated Series. And there is ha 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 written on one of the windows. So I, I'm guessing this is a former hideout. So I'm sure Joker would do this kind of weird stuff. Yeah, it definitely was because she was the reason why Harley picked it was she was counting on an arsenal of weapons. When she opens up that cachet, they're all gone. And so they have to make do with mallets and whatever's in a toy chest. And it works pretty, pretty well, considering this is a silly fight. A, a better bulletproof corset than the one in Charlie's Angels 2? And we're going to get another Suicide Squad reference because the daddy's little monster shirt is in there. She won't let Montoya wear it. It's better than I shaved my balls for this shirt. But I did get worried because Sandra takes two grenades. I'm like, I don't want the little girl to have grenades. (laughs) It's dangerous. She is a little girl, but, you know, in a way that I feel at this point, she's sold the idea that she's just as tough. Yeah, she's a street tough. She's pulled a gun, and so she doesn't need their help. She's resisting the idea that they're going to protect her. They all want to stand on their own, but they realize that there's this many goons coming in through the window. Best to work as a team, if only in this moment. I'm saying there's no jokes here, and I only laughed once. There are lines that I found amusing that didn't crack me up, but when they ask how she's able to do a shoe change so quickly like that was amusing and yeah she shows up with those roller skates amusing enough i'm not laughing but it's like the movie's absurd and harley quinn breaks rules of real world physics and it's nice that they call back to the roller derby thing and that she's beating people up on roller skates help me out what does black canary do and and why is this why did they have to work in this idea that she has the lung power to knock some goons down like because that's her power in the comic. She has this sonic scream that she could do. She's mostly just like a martial artist. Like that is her main method of fighting, but she could do this sonic scream to take people out if she needs to. Okay, it's like a Banshee X-Men kind of thing. And again, because DC continuity is so convoluted, you could say she got that power from a wizard as she originally did, or that she was just born with a mutant gene. Like just like mutants in X-Men, people in the DC universe, they're called metahumans that some of are born with powers and that's how she was born. Lead with that. If you can <laughs> scream and knock everybody down, why did we have all this fighting? Well, I think they wanted to leave that for a big reveal. Like, they hint at it when she breaks that glass when she's singing. They say something about her voice or her mom's voice earlier. And, yeah, I think they wanted to tease that for whatever reason. My problem is that that she doesn't use it until now. I just wish this team was together sooner and we'd given her a reason to use it sooner. Like, I actually like this team once they get together for this last 10 minutes. I wish it was more of the film. Yeah. And they also point out the fact that in using it, she faints, she collapses. It takes yeah. everything out of her. So it's, you know, one and done. You know, you, you do that and then thanks, good night. Drop yeah, the mic. Yeah, I got it. I saw her do that. It's. I still think in that funhouse room where they're beating all the mercenaries. And the mercenaries... It's kind of like the Warriors. They're all these different groups. They have masks on. But is one of them the IT squad? I mean, they're all in short sleeve button downs with ties. I'm like, is this the Best Buy geek squad coming to beat them up? And also, they're all so 
hysterically costumed, why not bring back the panda head guys from Suicide Squad? They would not have been out of place with these goons. Only you want more Suicide Squad in this. Uh, I, I wouldn't have mind, yeah, when the Joker shows up with, the, like, the giant eyeball on, yeah, go for some of those goofier costumes. Here, they just all have, like, tribal masks on because we know Black Mask collects them, and, and so it feels like he handed those out, I guess. I do want to give this film one compliment. There's one scene that I'm in awe of. I don't know who filmed it. I don't know who did it. But when we have the wide shot of all the fights going on and they're all like in that stage and the camera's like panning and I don't know if it's a composite. Maybe all of these fights were one-on-one against a green screen, but it felt real. It felt like you had all these stunts happening at once with Harley Quinn and Black Canary and Huntress and all these fights. That is, as far as action goes, the most exciting thing in this film. Yeah, I, I like this climax. I like the fights going on. I I can't ding it that much. Uh, again, it hasn't been a consistent film, but when they break out into action scenes, maybe because they brought the guy from John Wick, I'm into it. Uh, my favorite stuff is when she's time for some roller derby and everything, the action moves to the street, hanging off the back of the motorcycle on the roller skates or going over the car. I like all the stuff with the motor vehicle. Once we have this extra step of like, let's go to this founder's pier that's collapsing and we've got to do shooting in the dark and monologuing. Yeah, there's all these statues everywhere, and they introduced this thing earlier when Black Mask was showing off his, I don't know, just his room, and he had all these statues for acupuncture models or whatever, and he had a statue made of himself. I thought that was going to play a part, because why else would you have all these statues on the pier? But I guess not. Yeah, I, why would you mention and close up, take a long close up of the statue of himself that looks nothing like Ewan McGregor yeah. if you're not going to bring it back? Yeah, it, all of this feels like they maybe just wanted to linger on, you know, this is the point where Harley's actually apologizing to Cassandra for selling her out. They're trying to atone. She's having her emancipation, though, is that all this power comes because people are afraid of you. They're afraid of Black Mask. They're afraid of Joker. They should be afraid of me. I'm Harley fucking Quinn. This is her moment of coming out of that cocoon that she's supposedly been in this whole movie. I haven't noticed it. To be what is unclear is what I would also add, that if this were about forging some new identity, I'm not sure that it looks any different than what she had before. No, is she saying, I want to be a crime boss? I'm Harley fucking Quinn. I don't need to... Well, yeah, the, the problem is we don't see the aftermath. We don't see people cowering because she's Harley Quinn. Not because she's the Joker's girlfriend. We, we never get that moment. I guess that's for another film, maybe. But that would have helped sell this female empowerment point right here. Yeah, absolutely. If I just knew where this was going. But I like the speech. I think Margot Robbie, again, does very well with it. And yet... It's Cassandra who gets the kill shot. She's the one who's like, I stole your ring. And she pulls it up. She pulled the pin on a grenade. And I mean, Harley does have to throw. Yeah, she does her little flip and kicks him into the water so he could blow up. Yeah, and the audience I was with the first time did seem to enjoy all of his giblets falling in the water. I like, again, I like the animation. Good job, CGI artist. <laughs> 
And now it's time for tacos because this girl still hasn't passed the diamond. She's had prune juice. They've duct taped <laughs> her to a toilet. I don't know how she swallowed that thing, and I don't know how she could have passed it. That thing would tear your intestines up. Uh, and I guess shawarma doesn't make you poop hard enough. I mean, this felt like the shawarma scene from <laughs> Avengers. Well, it also brings us back to those mean girls that she was hanging out. Same dirty taco restaurant. The ones that didn't think she was good enough to stand on her own. Now she has friends that truly are supportive and that will stand with her. Although not. She slips away with the diamond and the kid. And she calls the birds of prey that form dorky do-gooders she is not one of them she is maybe a nemesis but they have mutual respect for each other as strong women it paid off the title i hated the title thinking it was like a dr strange love thing i hated the word fantabulous but she never was a bird of prey the birds of prey are going to be these three because why they enjoyed fighting together. The fist bump moment where the cop convinces the lounge singer and the assassin, we need to clean up this city. didn't sell for me. Well, Montoya, she doesn't become a cop again too. I like the moments. Like I think Harley does the voiceover. We all know a cop isn't really powerful until they turn in their badge and you have that cliche moment. So Renee is just a vigilante at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like Rosie Perez and Winstead and Jesse Smollett's sister all need to like... Okay, that is his sister. It I was, is. It I is. was wondering. Uh, they all need to get their own production companies going because this is Margot Robbie's movie and she didn't give them enough really for it to feel like a Birds of Prey film. I would argue that if it feels like it's random that they've come together, it's because they were marginalized. And it's all about being in a convertible with a beaver and a hyena and a sidekick eating egg sandwiches and nothing about what they're going to do to clean up Gotham. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Birds of Prey? Jacob. Did the trailer for this movie suck? Yes, and, and maybe that was the secret genius marketing behind it. Give me the lowest of low expectations. I was dreading to go see this. I didn't want to. I would not have seen this if I didn't have to for this podcast. And then I sat in the theater, and it started, and, and it's weird because then I heard it had a really like high Rotten Tomato score, and you could debate you know, how important that is, but it seemed like the critics were liking it. So I'm like, okay, that that's very curious. So that maybe actually brought my expectations up a little bit. So maybe that harmed it a little bit seeing that score. But yeah, I go in and it's messy. It is a messy film. It, it's, it's gonzo at points. It's badly edited at points, just confusing. But that's like you've been arguing, Stuart. That is kind of the character too. She is Tank Girl. She is Deadpool. She is Pee Wee. And do you really, you know, last week I saw the latest Terrence Malick movie, A Hidden Life, about fighting the Nazis and and, and what do you do in the face of a, a government that is tyrannical and no it's not that movie like <laughs> there are different kinds of movies and they don't always have to be gorgeous and, and plot driven story driven character like there are different things that work for me depending on the type of movie and because this is more of an action exploitation type thing about female empowerment I do like that it is over the top and, and kind of ratchets it up to 11 with its gender politics and just goes for it because it, it 
that's the kind of movie it is. So again, it's not great. I like the action scenes. I thought they were pretty good. Really liked Mary Elizabeth Winstead, wish she was more of this. I wish the Birds of Prey were more. And ultimately, I think I'm going to eek on the side of a recommend because I would see another movie with this team. I, I want to know more about this team. I want to see their dynamic work in a movie where it, it's more about them. But I enjoyed this one enough. Again, I wasn't laughing out loud except for one joke, but there were some amusing lines. I liked the action. It's better than Suicide Squad, and I did recommend that. That was a so uh, yeah. I I would would I watch this one again? Mm, maybe. Uh, and I also wanted to see the director's other film, Dead Pigs, because of this. I wanted to see what she could do without you know a, a major production chopping it up, bringing other directors in. So because this makes me want to see another Birds of Prey, makes me want to see this director's other film, and it's it, it's an okay action comedy. Uh, yeah, I'll just give it over the line a, a weak recommend. Yeah, I'm going to echo a lot of what you said, starting with the idea that it succeeds just by not being the film promised by the trailer. Like, oh my God, was I so happy about 30 minutes into the movie when I realized that it wasn't all attitude and no soul. There was some intelligence here. There was some craft. There were some ideas. There was a way of taking a character I largely found annoying and creating a funhouse, Pee-wee's Playhouse romp that works and fits and starts. But... Does that mean that I enjoyed the experience? I would have loved to have gotten up at any point and walked out. The reason why I cannot give this a recommend is because I actually didn't want to see it. I think that this is good. If you want, if you are a Harley Quinn fan, it's a recommend. They've done her right. They've given her her movie. But because I don't want to see her, I just... My my litmus test was I walk out of it. I say you don't want to see her because of what she does in this movie, or just in general. Because I feel that's unfair. Just be, if you don't like the thing, the concept in general, like that, that's you can't hold that against the movie. I think you How can. How does it do with the execution? I, I think, uh, unfortunately, I mean, I think that like if Arnie doesn't like Jane Austen, like going to the new Emma, it's just, there's no saving that. Even if they do a good job with that. Mm, I think I, I would disagree with that. I think it could turn your, exp it could turn your bias around if it's good enough. It's not good enough for that. You're right. Maybe it could. It's not good enough. There are good ideas here that didn't quite come together. And what I can echo with you is even though I'm giving this a not recommend, I actually would like to see the sequel because I think that if she actually did work with the birds of prey more, you would have a solid movie. The fatal flaw of this movie is it undersells the assets that the other women bring and says, we all know that you're here for the cheese whiz and hyena antics of Harley Quinn. And frankly, I'm not. And I think the Joker's the winner in this breakup. You know, you always have that. There's that Chicago song about how he and the girlfriend broke up, but now the girlfriend's getting married. And if you see him walking by and there's a tear in his eye, look away. Yeah, Harley Quinn has to be the one looking away from Joker because Joker is getting Oscar gold and she's getting this not very fantabulous movie. And Joker is hugely profitable because it was made for like 60 million and globally has made hundreds and hundreds of million a billion it hit the billion club yep and i do think robbie is an incredible harley quinn she is as good as harley as robert downey jr as iron man as good as chris evans as captain america as good as christopher reeve as superman and the difference is she's doing a performance. She isn't harley quinn in real life i do still feel like robert downey jr is 
Tony Stark in real life with his cars and his money. But Robbie brings the accent and the mania and pulls that off. But the movie tries to tell a lot of jokes, humor is subjective, that I didn't find funny. And it felt like it was hitting the same gags or the same ball gags over and over because this has more crotch shots than a crossover episode of America's Funniest Home Videos with Jackass. I was on the fence. That's why I went back a second time. I walked out the first time. I'm like, I couldn't follow the character arcs. I thought the movie was a mess the first time I watched it. So I went back. I wanted to really give it a fair shake. I went back the second time and I walked out. And I'm like, God, I don't know which way to go with this because in many ways, this is a better film than Suicide Squad. In every way. It has a better villain. It has a better team. No Joker's better than Jared Leto's Joker. Is the soundtrack better? I think that's the only thing Suicide Squad might win out on. Oh, no. This has a great soundtrack. I'm, I'm expecting a volume two, honestly. I have listened to, I purchased and listened to this whole soundtrack, but it didn't have the Kesha song in it, and it didn't have Barracuda, and it didn't have any of the standards. It had all the original music. Oh, no. When it doesn't have the Kesha song, we're in trouble. <laughs> I like the Kesha song, okay? It's a very... I don't even know what one was the Kesha song. <laughs> it just was missing a lot of the songs, but it did have the new Halsey song, which is really, I like Halsey a lot. So, Ben, this was a really good song by her outside of her normative. So why are you giving it a red arrow? I'm not. I'm giving it a green arrow. Okay. You want to wow. okay. know what made my decision is okay. I said, I'm going to sit here and listen to myself on this podcast. Do I defend the film more or do I attack the film more? And during this podcast, I feel I've been pretty positive about the film. I called out flaws with it, but I was pretty positive with it. So that error is going to eek. I mean, it is mm, just above the line, but green arrow. Okay. All right. Another feather in DC's cap. <laughs> and I definitely feel like it was a messy, ugly pilot, but I do feel like now that they got the team together, they could do better if they, if this is ends up being profitable enough to have some kind of continuation with Birds of Prey. I don't know if a sequel will happen per se, but they might pop up in another DC Universe movie. I would think that could work really well. Huntress, I would really like to see. Montoya? Yeah, Rosie Perez did okay. Black Canary made no impact on no. me. No, yeah, I, I agree. She was the one that I felt nothing for. Yeah, we didn't talk about her very much because she did a lot. She was in a lot of scenes and she was, but she didn't have personality. Even the scene where she has her one-on-one -on -one with Harley Quinn, she just sits there and doesn't say much and then just walks away. The one moment I really like is, oh, you're that singer no one listens to. Oh, you're that crazy bitch no one likes. I mean, that was good. But that's the only moment she had that I identified her with her at all. And other than that, she kicks nice. But I don't think we're going to see him again. And that's sad to me because of Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character. But the box office on this, tracking low. And I don't think there is a DC Extended Universe anymore. I think there's still movies coming <laughs> there's in There's still it. DC movies, but... And some are grown out of that universe, you yeah. know? We're still getting Wonder Woman, and it's the same Wonder Woman that we saw in Justice League. But I don't feel like they're doing the connective tissue anymore. And I don't think they're going to look at this box office and be like, yes, Rosie Perez, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, you're up. Yeah, yeah. Rosie Perez is not the Sam Jackson of the DC universe. Although I liked her. I like what she brought. I, I, I liked her, but yeah, they're, that's not what I don't think they could do that at this point. No, I don't think they, they from a marketing box office standpoint, 
think that they should, but it would be interesting to partner this Birds of Prey with somebody other than Harley Quinn. Like, what would it mean if they were allowed to breathe and not have all the air sucked out by this crazy clown? I mean, I don't know how they would play with Flash or Batman, but curious thought. If they wanted to continue this, you know what I think would bring better box office? Birds of Prey meets Catwoman. It has to be female? I think it does for them. I don't think it has to. I I like your idea of bringing in Batman or I was thinking Robin specifically. Like, don't bring in the bat, but bring in Robin. Robin's on his own and needs some backup and the Birds of Prey are helping out. Another bird name. Nightwing. Did they become Nightwing or something like that? Well, one Robin did. There's a lot of Robins. There's lots of Robins. There's even a girl Robin. So you could do that. I mean, yeah, I, I think that there would be benefit to teaming up again. I don't think but they teamed up with Harley Quinn, arguably the most popular Suicide Squad member. I mean, the Suicide Squad is filming right now. Margot Robbie. Well, probably not right now because she's preparing for the Oscars. But yesterday, Margot Robbie was back in the pancake makeup and the shorty shorts working with James Gunn and Jay Courtney and the rest, uh, plus new people, not Will Smith, but not Jared Leto. But Taika Waititi, he's there. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's one of the actors. How weird. Okay. So there's a hope that this could be better. And I am shocked that there wasn't an end stinger that showed Harley riding in with the Suicide Squad again or something to let us know. I didn't expect Wonder Woman because Wonder Woman's PG, but there's talk that the Suicide Squad could be R. And I'm like, I really thought there'd be a tease for that movie. Yeah, what do we know? We know this summer, Wonder Woman, she's going to the mall. It's set in the 80s. I don't love that concept. But... Oh, man, the, the trailer has me so hyped. And I really still fear Kristen Wiig, like, meow, I'm the cheetah, meow. Yeah, I, I want to see what she's like as the cheetah. I'm, I'm very curious. But you play some New Order music and get me back in that 80s vibe. I love New Order. So I was so into that trailer. I watched it like four times in a row just for the music. That's happening this summer. And then next summer, we get three of them. We get Batman. They're keeping Ezra's Flash for 4th of July. Why? And then Suicide Squad, whatever it is, two or or reboot in August. So it will, DC will really get to, to show us where they're going next summer. But Wonder Woman this summer. That Flash movie isn't happening. <laughs> I mean, it's scheduled for 4th of July. But I... we are getting the new mutants finally, so who knows? Well, see, I'm not eager for it. I'll put it that way. It's of the three, the one that I'm least excited about. But what are we doing next? Well, uh, we're doing a character that's very fast. It's not Flash, perhaps, but uh, video game Sonic the Hedgehog is coming to theaters this weekend, and we have to cover it. <laughs> it's going to be amazing because they fixed the CGI, guys. <laughs> Thank God. That was the problem I was really having. Not the Jim Carrey mugging performance that made me so sad inside. <laughs> I mean, it's the Riddler meets Cyclops. Yeah. So it'll be something. And uh, after that, we'll get back and, f- and finish up with the Kong movies we haven't done. And speaking of Sonic the Hedgehog, if last Friday we finished our Rush Hour retrospective, bringing our previous donation drive to a close... And time is running out. You only got a couple more weeks if you want to hear the Rush Hour series, as well as all of the Grudge reviews and our reviews of the I Am Legend films and Zombielands. I mean, I think people really 
didn't go see Zombieland 2, but people like Zombieland, I think. So all of that is available. If you want to give us some gold coins or gold rings like Sonic has, you can find the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And if you go to nowplayingpatron.com this Friday's Valentine's Day, we're going to do a romance oh it's so hot man Natalie Portman as a stripper get your significant other they're all hooking cozy up. up with some champagne the chat room talk is just so dirty <laughs> you just won't believe it it's gonna really bring you closer with your significant other I gotta say and then you can talk to us about why you broke up <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for listening justice has been served Welcome for not getting robbed! Oh, hey. What's up? I'm a superhero. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's DC Movie Universe Retrospective Series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Stay down! I wanted it, you'd be dead already. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Can you imagine how people on this planet would react if they knew there was someone like this out there? And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the DC movies with other listeners. I'm in. You are? Just like that? Yeah. I I need friends. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other comic book films, such as Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, The Avengers, X-Men, The Punisher, and Fantastic Four. I can't wait to show you my toys. You can also listen to our reviews of other movie series, including The Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, and many more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. The world's too big, Mom. Then make it small. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. Not sold anywhere commercially in the world, even Black Market. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. Should we have written it down first? I memorized it, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Oh. I know you're trying to find out where I hang my cake. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. You literally did the opposite of what a superhero is supposed to do. Support from listeners like you. Help keep Now Playing operating. It would be a huge burden for anyone to bear. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. No money, no honey. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. <laughs> My suit, son. Now Playing Podcast is produced and edited by Arnie Carvalho. I feel like Superman would have done it way better. <laughs> Associate produced by Jason Latham. Weapons of man draw no blood from our kind. 
Now playing credit narration by Brock. Wait, what? Are you making some of my Big E evil guy's speech right now or something? You're like a mile away from me. All I see is mouth moving. Now playing is not affiliated with DC Comics or Warner Brothers Pictures. DC Comics and all that the DC Universe contains are copyright and trademark Warner Brothers Entertainment, and no infringement is intended. I've seen it, Mr. Wayne. He thinks he's above the law. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Today is a day for truth. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2020, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. I can't talk to fish. What can we do with that that's cool? Maybe uh, command a, uh, an army of billions in the ocean? Oh, yeah. Now, admittedly, I thought that Street Fighter 2 girl was not very good in it, but I... I've heard names on the tip of my tongue, but I don't really give a fuck. But <laughs> something like Carrie, Kathy, not Kathy Coon, but something like that. <laughs> Kristen Krunkowitz or something like that. <laughs> Kristen Karuk. Okay, here we go. Karuk. <laughs> and contains the account numbers to the offshore fortune of the now dead Bertolini crime family. Bertinelli. Bertinelli. Think of Valerie Bertinelli. <laughs> if, you, if you remember who that is. Yeah, talk about dead careers. <laughs> <laughs> She's now doing cooking on the Food Network. She used to be married to Van Halen, Eddie. That's right. Oh, they, that ended? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. And its, and its molecular structure... <laughs> the very next day, I was at the IMAX premiere, 6 p.m. Thursday night. I suspect... AMC has moved the premieres to 6 p.m. to try to force people into buying their food. Like, you get off work at 5, you go to the movie, you're hungry, you have to buy that greasy-ass chicken sandwich. Not only that, but then their employees can go home an hour earlier, don't have to get paid. <laughs> is it Dinah? I, I always called her Diana yeah, by mistake. Dinah. Even when I read the comments. Someone's in the kitchen Dinah, with Dinah. Right? Yeah.